But I would have known. Most intimate friend. Well, now. It's not unusual. Kathy might just uh, have found a really nice young man and left you all alone. No, Lillian. No, that's not true at all. You know she loves me. I... I can't take an interest in your private life, honey. I'm only your employer. Well, I know you telephoned Kathy only a few days ago. And you know something I don't know. A coincidence. I'm completely in the dark. I'm going to have to inform the police, Lil. That you shouldn't do. Then give me one good reason why not. You know perfectly well where Kathy is and what's happened to her. Exorcism, a sacrifice, blessing, or bestiality, the curse of the devil, Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. Welcome back to the Nashy Cast, the first episode of 2018. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And for this 22nd episode of the Beyond Nashy thread of podcasts, we are happy, nay, I might even say thrilled, to be jumping back into the blind dead pool, mm-hmm. uh, trying desperately to, to only make waves and not make noise so they, they can't <laughs> seek us out and kill us. But we do love the blind dead. Mm-hmm. And we calling do. it a pool, or we, perhaps a, yes, you may know why. We're yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe even a bathtub <laughs> might be the best way to go this time around. Gosh, this time. we did not make it. That was less than a minute before we referenced the, the, the toy <laughs> boat. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't people who stop were myself. people who were calling to hope we've had a change of heart, you know, have, uh, are already tuning out. But well, actually, well, well, yeah, go actually, ahead. yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to tease too uh, right, ridiculously right. here. But I would like to say that don't run uh, away. All the yeah, all the cruel words that I've had for this particular film, and that would be the Ghost Galleon, the third Blind Dead film. Um, I have to say, uh, you might want to stay tuned. Rod's opinion may have slightly altered over time. Mm-hmm. I think I'm getting old and mm-hmm. less cranky. How can that possibly be? Yeah, that's against the laws of biology, <laughs> of male biology, <laughs> yeah. to get old and less and less, less cranky. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's something wrong with that, right? It doesn't normally work that but, way at all. Yeah, but yes, yes, don't don't run away, don't run away just yet. If you're if you're a ghost galleon defender, so. uh, yes, yes, I, I will say that I think the you know we're we're safe in assuming that the vast majority of people do adhere to the uh, Ghost Galleon is the weakest of mm. the f- quartet mm-hmm. thought, but there are people Not out there everybody. who think it's the second well, best. We or... have been threatened with bodily harm if we don't stop picking on this film. And so, I know, uh, so, I know. Yeah, but that had nothing to do with our, because we fear nothing, so that had nothing, nothing to do, nothing to do <laughs> yeah. with it. Most of the people right. who are threatening me live in Spain. That's so right. It doesn't really yeah. matter to me. <laughs> Hello, Elena. I love you. But, uh, yes, tonight, episode, uh, Beyond, Beyond Nashy, episode number 22, we are going to be talking about Amando Diasorio's third Blind Dead film, The Ghost Galleon, and we're very happy to be doing so. And if, if, if 
if somebody by any chance happens to be tuning in into this as their first Beyond Nashy, because I think we've done so many of these, we don't always qualify them as we used to by stating right off the front that we are calling this Beyond Nashy because the idea of this series is we take other Spanish horror films that featured people, either actors, directors, whatever, who worked with Paul Nashy. You know, these are films that don't have Paul Nashy's actual right. direct involvement. But uh, so anyway, if any, just just feel like maybe we should always start off with that little bit of a clarification there while we call this series that. And also, we should probably be upfront and clear as crystal about the reason that we're covering this film this time around, mm-hmm. and that is because we uh, recently have um, had the Blind Dead on our mind. Very much. Uh, it has finally been announced by Scream Factory that their forthcoming Blu-ray mm-hmm. of the fourth of the Blind Dead films. The Night of the Seagulls will have a commentary track by uh, me and you. Are you on that one? I think ah, I'm yes, somewhere. You, I think you let yes, me get a couple of words a couple in there. Of words in there. Yeah, you know, yes. and uh, yeah, for that one, Rod even actually even I think washed his modeled uh, uh, Templar's cloak and uh, <laughs> and I think he even at least fed his decomposing horse that he always sits on when he does these. I did not. Air. I did not send anything to the dry cleaners, but <laughs> there was a less yeah. a less musty odor in the air right. during the recording of that particular commentary right. track. So, uh, we do think that uh, we're, we're, we're rather proud of our commentary tracks. This is uh, the seventh one that yeah. we've been able yeah. to uh, we've been able to do. We've done five Paul Nashy uh, commentary tracks for various Paul yeah. Nashy films. And also, this will be this will be our second mm-hmm. Amando Diasorio track after the uh, Lorelei's Grasp. So mm-hmm. we're we're really thrilled that uh, finally we can talk about that out in public. And uh, if you had any curiosity at all about uh, whether or not there were going to be extras on that uh, single disc of just the fourth Blind Dead film, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. You can uh, go pay money to hear us talk to you <laughs> uh, over a film. If that's exactly what you want to do, go right ahead. We encourage Please, it. please. We, uh, you, you'll, you'll be better for it, a better person for it. <laughs> I don't know that we should probably say that. I don't know that that's going to be true. But we recorded, no, we actually recorded this commentary at the end of 2017, so that was seven commentaries in one year. So uh, that was our amazing uh, commentary year for us. I think yeah. we're going to do a Harvey Picard-style comic book and call it our commentary year <laughs> Our commentary year. for us. So if anyone wants to illustrate that for us, uh, just uh, we'll take, uh, take, yes, take yes, accepting yes. volunteers. Yeah. And if, you're, if your first question is, are we going to be doing any more in the future, that's an excellent question, and we don't know. We have no idea. Uh, <laughs> we're not holding anything. We're not keeping anything secret at the moment. We really don't know. We do know that I, I, will, I, I can say that the pool of participants in the uh, the Paul Nashy commentary track festival uh, definitely has gotten more crowded. There are more mm-hmm. people out there doing commentary tracks on Nashy films, and I think that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Uh, uh, we, we are greedy bastards, and we would love to do them all, but yeah, you know, we know how it is. Yeah, we look forward to these other commentaries by these other participants, and we Rod and I are always of the opinion that uh, there's room for all of us. So uh, you can oh, never, never have too many of us to yeah. share the Nashy love there. So we're looking forward to the future con- coming commentary tracks from other folks. I always love them because I know I'm going to I'm going to at least get a different perspective if not necessarily learn new information, sure. information that I didn't have access to one way or another. Yeah. And I think that's good I think that's good overall for Paul Nashy fans both new and old mm-hmm. to have different perspectives, to have uh, people who had different contacts and different experiences of his films either growing up or as an adult, whichever way you came to the stuff. And I think that's great because uh, after a while, I mean no matter how much research the Tro- that Troy and I do, you end up uh, 
you end up either fearing that you're going to end up uh, repeating yourself, or you feel like you're repeating yourself, and then you find out that you really weren't repeating yourself. Right. You were you were kind of covering the material from a different angle or something like that. So true. Uh, this is a little inside baseball, so I'm going to just skip mm-hmm. ahead to the next thing, which is mm-hmm. this film. So we had the Blind Dead on the mind. Yep. We have in the past done episodes on the first two Blind Dead films, which I think both Troy and I will say are our favorite two. I think for both of us. I'm, yeah, the first uh, and second. The first and second are our favorite of the of the mm-hmm. quartet. Mm-hmm. And so this time around, uh, we decided to go ahead. It's We've put it off long enough. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and sit mm-hmm. down and and uh, rewatch the Ghost Galleon and talk a bit about it. Because regardless of what I reveal later in this episode, it is still the weakest of the mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. But it is not without points of interest. Right. Uh, the, you know, the, at the very least, hey, it's got uh, Maria Pershing. Yeah. So, you know, Jack Taylor is always Jack fine. Jack Taylor, yeah. I'm a big fan of Blanca Estrada and Blanca Barbara Estrada. Ray. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we'll talk about, I can't wait to, to dig into talking about this film because there are so many good things and so many problematic things that yeah. they all kind of blend into a melange of weirdness. <laughs> they that They do. Uh, nevertheless, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for checking out the episode and listening to us yet again. We know that the uh, podcast has been rather sporadic in, uh, in production. That's because we uh, our original plan was, of course, to slide back and forth and do about six episodes of six episodes on the NashiCast feed a year. Uh, we have fallen off on that because we're, well, we were kind of busy mm-hmm. last year. Uh, we, we, our plans did get upset a mm-hmm. bit. The, the mm-hmm. schedule did fall off because we were working very hard trying to produce those seven commentary tracks. Hope, hope everybody cuts us a little slack. The, the Nashi cast isn't going away, uh, and we hope this year to get production back up to something kind of interesting, which brings mm. us to the thing that we'll go ahead and, and say now, but we'll remind you at the end of the show, too. Um, next month will be the eighth year, eight-year anniversary mm. of the Nashi cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, we are very excited because finally... One of the uh, films that we've been wanting to cover for the show, a Paul Nashie film that we've not been able to see before, mm-hmm. has finally been made available to us uh, because someone out there, thank you very much, has subtitled it. Yeah, uh, this yeah. is a, this is an instance of a film that was not released outside of Spain. It's called uh, se- uh, Sequestro or Sequestro. Sequestro, I think. It, uh, is the, it, yeah. yeah, it's it's called it's kidnapped. Is the is the translation of the of the title from what I understand. Uh, but I've not watched it yet. Troy's not watched it yet. We're very much looking forward to this. We understand that it's based uh, kind of loosely on the Patty Hearst case, which makes it very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's from the mid seventies, and uh, we're looking very much forward to this. And so next month on the eighth. 8- year anniversary <laughs> of the beginning of the uh, Nashi cast, we're going to finally get to return to uh, a Paul Nashi film that we've not yet seen yeah. before. So yeah, this is going to really be a wonderful experience. That. God, with this this is a long time coming. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely. happy about that. So next month, uh, you will get uh, in February and another episode from us, and it's an actual Nashi cast. Ah. <sighs> <sighs> What probably our first thing. one in maybe a year and a half. I don't know. I would not be surprised. Well, it's, it's as far as as far as a, yeah. as far as a film, yeah. an actual film that we at least thought Paul Nashy was in. You know, was, <laughs> I think the last one we did was Mortal Sin, which ended up being a interesting film. But Paul Nashy had one scene, I think, in the whole whole film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you get, you, we were we were we are definitely we have been to the point where now we're we're seeing some interesting films that Nashy has you know mm. minor participation right. in, and, and right. that that's all well and good because, mm. like I say, we've enjoyed hey, them. Hey, yeah, yeah, but. Um, this one, 
mm-hmm. he co-wrote and mm-hmm. he stars in. So we're looking forward to that. But I tell you what we'll do is uh, once again, thank you very much. If you want to get in touch with us, remember the email address is nashicast at gmail.com or you can join us over on the Facebook page uh, where I occasionally post interesting tidbits of information about things that are coming out related to Paul Nashi or Spanish horror in general. We will uh, take a quick break, come back, and dive into the bathtub <laughs> that houses the ghost galleon. <laughs> spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. There are a lot of podcasts out there that do science fiction, horror, and fantasy movies but how many of them are done by somebody who's been watching this shit for half a century hi my name's terry frost and i do the martian driving podcast a podcast where i look at silent films all the way through to movies from the second decade of the 21st century i look at fantasy horror and science fiction and talk about them sometimes with the guests sometimes by myself but always with an eye to the stuff that maybe has slipped off your radar if it was ever on your radar so go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or type Martian Drive-In Podcast into iTunes and enjoy a bit of decent genre talk. And keep watching the skies. Catch your We're here! Hey! Hey! Help hey. us out! Help! Come, Come on! on! I've covered an area 50 square miles and found nothing. Over. Well, I guess we're going to have to check out their course by boat. How could they disappear to thin air? Maybe it's true the Phantom Ship does exist. Ghost Galleon. Yes, this book is the daily navigational guide the captain had on board the ship more than two centuries ago. Galia. 
A sinister ship condemned to sail eternally. You're not going anywhere. You'll stay here and do as you're told. Let me go. You mustn't do that to her. Keep out of this, Lil. You're involved enough in this already. What at the beginning was only a legend turned into the most horrible reality. Ghost Gallium. Maria Pershi. Jack Taylor. Barbara Ray. Carlos Lemos. Manuel de Blas. Blanca Estrada. In Ghost Galleon. You want me to do it? I told you I'm scared. Five human beings with selfish passions find themselves aboard a ship sailing through a night without end. Oh, would you? You said you would. Oh, come on now. Cut it out. And I could learn to do all the important things, like uh, fixing my hair. And I could learn to be just like you. It seemed like a nightmare. But death which came to them one by one forced them to accept the horrible reality. I told you they wouldn't try to do it. And yet, they tried. And now, like all the rest of them, they disappeared. Just uh, like magic. An important film. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm getting out of here. The most horrifying sacrifices in unimaginable circumstances in the middle of the ocean. Death was at the end of this adventure. Ghost Galleon. Me. Ghost Galleon. It's coming directly at us. The ship's going to hit The Ghost Galleon, 1974 Spanish horror film written and directed by the great Amando Diasorio, stars Jack Taylor and Maria Pershi. Mm-hmm. Although we'll touch on a number of the other actors and actresses as we go along because. Now I think we've spent so much time covering these movies, I think we know them all anyway. Yeah, yeah, we do. I agree. I agree. Well, well let's put it this way. Yeah. I'm sitting there watching this mm-hmm. movie for the third or fourth mm-hmm. time in my life, and I, and this is the time that I go, oh, Manuel de Blas. Yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah. You know, what can I say? It is the third of Osorio's Blind Dead films, and uh, generally considered the weakest of mm. the four, but let's talk about why. Okay. The reason I think it's going to always be considered the weakest of the four is the plot. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the toy, toy no, boots, no, no, but no, I'm no, glad no, you didn't no, say that because no, I was going to no, say... not at all. That's not, at all. not No, you're right. Well, the plot and the plotting of some of it, the P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G, the plotting pace... Okay, yeah, I'll grant you that. ...at times... Uh, you know, but yes, this plot is 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 bonkers is the word, I think. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, let, let, let's put it this way. The movie starts off... Introducing us to Maria Pershi, who is apparently a fashion photographer who doesn't touch cameras. I do not yeah, understand that just, scene. Just, just gripes at her models there. Apparently. Gripes at her models and tells mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. person actually who touches the camera when to take photographs, right. which is very odd considering she's not looking through the viewfinder. So mm-hmm. how the hell does she know how, how it's framing up? But anyway. Maybe she's just such a, a, a expert that she just, you know, her eyes are the camera. She just knows. She's a genius. Yeah, she's a genius. That's right. Uh, but at any rate... Um, She's confronted by one of the models that is working there that day because uh, the that particular model's girlfriend, who is another mm-hmm. model, mm-hmm. and when I say girlfriend, let's emphasize that uh, uh, not only does she live with this girl, it is made clear that they are in a lesbian relationship together. Mm-hmm. You say made clear. I think it's not maybe as 
clear as in the first Blind Dead film. I mean, I think no, that there's, no, except yeah. for a line or two, you could actually read it a totally different way. And I, I think that may be can. intentional. Like, yeah, because, I mean, there's a line where she says, I mean, she says, because when... She's when my she's most a, intimate friend. Well, and also when when she's asking, when she's first demanding to know where she is, and, and uh, Maria Persh's character, who is uh, Lillian, I believe, yes, yeah, Lillian, Lillian says... Yeah. Says perhaps she's left with a man, another man, a man, right. and she says, and she says, no, I know she loves me. So that's right. that's an obvious thing. But I'm saying that, except for because because what it made me think of a lot is, and there's a couple things this film that I think are kind of neat callbacks to the first Blind Dead film. Oh, the first Blind Dead film, we have this same kind of relationship, or we have these same kind of, you know, well, there's a lesbian relationship, let's say, and yep. we get this in that film, we get this flashback to the two girls you know earlier where they were in school together or something and it's a very overtly sexual obvious lesbianism kind of thing lesbian scene we get that same thing here between this girl and the girl that she's asking about her roommate slash lover um but the scene could be read two different ways as either that they're lovers or that one is just almost like a little sister kind of of figure that i mean it's not quite as i don't think as obvious as in the first film, and I almost well, wonder if they there's possibly no kiss. Uh, yes, there, exactly. There is no kiss. There's a kiss on the cheek, and there's no right. There's no nudity yeah. as far as no lovemaking. I, what I'm saying is, I, I kind of wonder if it was possibly filmed that way for censor purposes to make it even easier to put the film, sell the film, however you wanted to do it. You know, depending on where it, you it, were. It, yeah, and it could yeah. very easily be changed in the dubbing, whichever mm. direction you want exactly. to go. So, yeah, yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you're you're right that it's possible that it went that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm sorry that they that they. That uh, Amado Diasorio did it the way he did it because he wanted to have the the flexibility right. in the dub mm-hmm. to be able to alter mm-hmm. exactly why this woman is so frantic to find her mm-hmm. her friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, on this viewing, it just makes a hell of a lot more sense for the for yeah. them to be lovers. Mm-hmm. The lengths to which mm-hmm. this woman goes mm-hmm. to find her missing girlfriend. Yeah. So. Nevertheless, we're talking about a horror mo- horror movie, so you know emotional motivation is not always something that you're necessarily going to get something that's you know very clean. So, I, I guess we can go with this. It's uh, uh, basically where her girlfriend is. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she kind of forces Maria Percy's character Lillian to mm-hmm. tell her what's going on because she threatens to go to the cops mm-hmm. because she's been she she's mm-hmm. been missing for about a week and she did, and she has no idea where she is. Mm-hmm. And Maria Percy goes, okay, okay, look, here's what it is. It's she's part of a, a publicity stunt. It's supposed to go, you know, it's supposed to it's it's been going on for a few days here. It's supposed to wrap up in the next mm-hmm. few days. Mm-hmm. You gotta you gotta leave this alone. She says, No, I don't believe you. You're gonna have to show me proof. Mm-hmm. Whole nine yards. And so she says, Okay, meet me down uh, at this particular place. This shady warehouse. <laughs> this shady docks. warehouse <laughs> on a pier, yeah. <laughs> and uh and uh I'll show you proof. That you shouldn't do. Then give me one good reason why not. You know perfectly well where Kathy is and what's happened to her. All right. She's out of town, special assignment. When it's over, you'll hear of it. But why is it so mysterious? It's for a new product we're managing and we're treating with maximum security. Till the proper time. Simple as that. I hope it is simple, yet I think that she's in jeopardy. I tried to leave you out of all this. But if you really want to know, meet me exactly at 7 at Pier 3. I'll see you then, Pier 3. Already, 
we're kind of in iffy territory because I got to be honest, this yeah. opening sequence, this opening scene with the with all of this being info dumped into our lap mm-hmm. is is clumsy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen clumsier, but this is pretty yeah. clumsy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I would ever claim that Amanda Diasorio was some kind of genius plotter, plotter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure I get the T in You're it. Right, right. <laughs> but he's usually better at exposition than this. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, one of the things that we should tell people that we discovered in doing a lot of research for uh, doing the commentary track for the next film in this series is that uh, there are a lot of reasons why. <laughs> Ghost Galleon uh, is the weakest of the four films, and one of them is that it had the shortest production time right. of any of the four. Right. Uh, Amado Diasorio had two weeks to shoot this movie. Yeah. yeah. From beginning to end, he mm-hmm. had two whole weeks, mm-hmm. uh, which is why the special effects that we'll talk about later on are, uh, shall we say, shall we be kind and say below mm-hmm. par? Yeah. And also, probably one of the reasons why some of it feels rushed and some of it feels stretched. You're filling out 90 minutes, mm-hmm. roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I will say that I think this movie should probably have been five to ten I, minutes shorter. I agreed. Agreed. Uh, that would have helped it along yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but what you don't know while you're shooting is how it's all going to cut together. Sure. Yeah. Especially Very when true. you're Especially when you're shooting mm-hmm. as quickly as mm-hmm. a two-week schedule. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not. Call, I'm not saying that there. That's a good excuse. I'm just giving you the reasons yeah. for why this film seems as, um, let's just say, uninspired as the other three yeah. might seem. Because he was up against the wall. The, yeah. produ- the yeah. producers, you know, made their demands, mm-hmm. and he had to fit the bill. Mm-hmm. So, what we have here is a clumsy opening, in my opinion. And then we get to. I mean, the whole the whole beginning is mm-hmm. is clumsy until. Mm-hmm. The okay until we get the the two girls who are out on this uh, this publicity stunt in the middle of the of the North mm. Sea on this supposedly special little special boat special special <laughs> well, little cruiser. Right? Let's, let's let's back up and and, and, right, and talk right. about our, our studly uh, Jack Taylor. Who's, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, Jack Taylor's the the, I, the I, business I, magnate. I, I love the way he. In the English dub, anyway, I love the way he introduces himself. He says, of yes. course, you recognize me as Howard Tucker, the sporting goods magnate. <laughs> it's like, you are so smooth, Jack. You are so smooth. <laughs> no, and that is, that's what I'm talking about. It's like the perfect example of just, like, shitty expositional dialogue. It's I know. terrible. I know. And, and this this harebrained, like, I mean, I literally, it, was, it took me a couple of tries through it before I was kind of, like, piecing together what they're actually trying to do. But as I understand it, he's, oh, yeah. his yeah. boarding goods company has come out with this apparently high-tech... Awesome lifeboat, he calls it. I mean, what's the words he uses? He uses, uh, he says, uh, sporty lifeboat is the way he gets yeah. it. So, and they put these two models, but one of them being Kathy, the girl that the, uh, um, um, <clears throat> Noemi, Noemi is her name. Noemi is, is, is the is woman the, who's asking about Kathy. Kathy, her roommate, is one of the women that's, right. that's been put out on this boat with another woman. They're supposed to pretend to be stranded. And so when the world discovers them and they're rescued and it makes worldwide news, uh, the fact that they were able to survive in this awesome lifeboat is going to boost sales for this lifeboat. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. that's apparently the whole It's an extraordinarily there. lame idea. <laughs> it's honestly, 
it would barely fly in an mm-hmm. episode of the Brady Bunch. Uh-huh. Okay, it would yeah. barely fly in a '70s sitcom or a '60s sitcom as a plot to get yeah. you through 25 minutes. But what's better? What's even better than how crazy that idea is is how ruthless these people become when that idea, when their stunt is at all threatened. They basically become the Sopranos suddenly when when they <laughs> feel that someone is <laughs> someone is is like someone is 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 going to blow the whistle on them or ruin their 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 scheme here. Uh, yes, it's very clear that. Um, Jack Taylor's character, uh, Howard Tucker. Howard Tucker, sports, sports, sporting sports, goods magnate. Sporting, sporting goods good magnate. Yeah. <laughs> has so much money yeah. that it kind of bends the shape of everything around him. It's like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like an incredibly wealthy man who mm-hmm. everybody kind of kowtows to, to in a certain way so as to A, not piss him off, and B, to keep the money flowing into their pockets, however small that stream may be. Let's not piss this man off. Let's do what he says. Yes, no real-life parallels at all. None at all. None whatsoever. So they're keeping this guy on track, and they're keeping this ridiculous idea afloat. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that makes that that that, that mm-hmm. likes the—I I can see the form and shape of what Osorio may have been going mm-hmm. for here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because— whether you realize this or not, uh, Mr. Osorio had a tendency to make commentary through his horror films. He did, very much just so. Yes, you're right. Just a little you're absolutely bit every right. now and then. Uh, it has been argued otherwise, but I'm going to tell you right now, there's just too much of it there. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, I think it's very obvious that one of the things he may have had the idea to be tagging and pushing against mm-hmm. and kind of uh, sarcastically commenting upon mm-hmm. would be, you know... Uh, rich men getting their way regardless of how harebrained their schemes may be. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it comes off exactly the way he wants it to in this because I think it's too rushed. And I yeah. think it gets lost because mm-hmm. I think if he'd had more time to play around and, and to work on this movie mm-hmm. more than two weeks, let's mm-hmm. say, I think we might have gotten a bit more of that and it might have been a bit more interesting and in I, that respect. I think you could have gotten the characters where you needed them to be without... Uh, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in some way that wasn't, you know, for instance, even the girl coming along with him. I mean, in this case, the fact that she keeps threatening to go to the police. And I have to say, at this point, after they've told her the idea and what's going on, I'm not really sure what she has to threaten them with. Because if her roommate agreed to this publicity stunt and went there of her own will, I'm not really sure, you know, what what she necessarily has to I mean, I mean, now no, no, to go do, to the police to rescue. I do them. understand that because mm-hmm. their fear is that th- that the fact that this is a publicity stunt can never be known. Yeah. So, well, but if yeah. she's going to go and tell authorities mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. would that would shit can the whole the whole project. I can see that. Well, but the fact that they then like just you know, so their response is to basically abduct her and tie her yeah, up. Yeah, they you kidnap know? her. They keep, and, they hold her hostage for a couple of fucking days. Yeah, and 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 yeah, I think they could have easily just like said. Well, why don't you come with us and we'll go make sure she's okay and rescue you know, I, mean, well, I don't think you can still gotten not, that. Mainly because... And, and of course, I, I'm and, probably and I know I sound, like I'm beginning to sound like an apologist for this. No, no, no. I mean, you may be... But I went a, through this very mm, carefully over mm. the past couple of days, making sure that I had this kind of lined up in my head. Mm. And the film does lay this out. At, it, it's it's kind of clumsy, but it does lay this out, which mm. is the reason they don't say that to her then is that they think they're going to just be able to like fly out in a helicopter and find them. Mm-hmm. Make sure they're okay, and then you know figure out whether or not they can still leave them out there or have to bring them back and try again. So that's when they mm-hmm. that's when they essentially lock Naomi or no uh, no mm-hmm. Noemi Noemi. It's like N O M N O E M I, which I guess is Noemi. I guess yeah. They say it a few it. times no, in the yeah. film. But, uh, listen for the clips in the in the yeah. in the show, folks. Yeah. Believe me, I'll be playing a few. <laughs> so there's 
that that's when they like mm-hmm. grab her to hold on to her until mm-hmm. they can you know do the checks that they can because they can't get them on you know the mm-hmm. the, the 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 girls tell mm-hmm. them that they've spotted some kind of galleon. Uh, they they say hey you know they say well shoot the flares because this will be the people who you know who discover you and this is how it all starts, but then they lose contact or they they mm. they they run into this thing and they keep telling them it's like some old galleon and mm. of course we're looking at it and it's terrible special effects so it doesn't really match but mm. this is not the kind of thing. Mm. That these girls are going to find, you know, <laughs> strapping sailors or seamen who are going to come and going to come and and rescue right. them. This is not what they're after. But nevertheless, one of the girls does crawl onto the thing, yeah. and then go missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like the fact that her. The only thing we hear of her are just her screams. Yeah, I mean that first. I like the way the first death. We don't see anything. It's it's yeah. a nice way of like, okay, we're going to hold back a little while before we really start revealing the the dead on this. We're going to like this yeah. first death just be totally mysterious. You know, you hear her screams, and that's it. I would like to point out that in this film, uh, this once again, this is a sign of the. The lack of funds available to make mm. this movie. Um, this, this is a pre- this is a pretty cheap jack production. There's only one graphic death in the entire movie. That's true, just one. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, and I, I would say that that kind of adds a neat layer of creepy mm-hmm. to everything. But at the same time, the reason that he's having to do it that way, the reason he's having to mm-hmm. just you know have the characters off screen and we just and we just hear screams and you know we have the foggy ship and mm-hmm. and you know the the shadows and that's really all we've got to work with is because he couldn't afford to do more than one graphic death in this film, from what I understand. So there's just yeah. there wasn't the money available to kind mm-hmm. of like amp up the violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, we have one of the two climb onto the ship. We have the other stay on the little. You know, small boat until the you know hours later she falls asleep and what is another little bit of clumsy storytelling there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where one of them climbs on the other mm-hmm. takes a nap mm-hmm. and is awakened but not not sure of what she's heard she's awakened right, by right. the other screams as right. she's you know mysteriously mm-hmm. killed <sighs> then we get to the point where um. Water has seeped into this little lifeboat, mm-hmm. and she can broadcast, she mm-hmm. thinks, but she can't hear what they're saying. So, essentially, now they realize, okay, we're going to have to go out there. Mm-hmm. So, they take a helicopter out there trying to find them. They cannot find them via helicopter, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this takes a day or so. So, this whole time, they're holding <laughs> holding this girl captive. Yes. <laughs> and... uh <sighs> Okay. We get a very strange scene. We get a very strange scene here. Okay. Yeah. Now, I cannot defend... I can't defend this. I can't either. So let's just talk about okay. this. There is an indefensible scene in the first Blind mm-hmm. Dead film, in Tombs of the Blind Dead. Mm-hmm. And there is a mirror scene to it in mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are some parallels between the first, and the, the first film and this film. And this is an unpleasant one, which is that both films have lesbian characters. And in both films... Uh, these lesbian characters get raped. Right. Um, this is, like I say, it's indefensible. I'm not sure exactly how to uh, how to categorize this, um, other than uh, at least this one. If it, uh, this is going to be a weird phrase, but at least this one's tastefully done because it's, it's not graphic. It's, it's not graphic, but it's they strangely done though. It's strangely filmed. The whole scene is bizarre. I mean, <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, because yeah. okay, Howard Tucker, sports magnate, has. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> has a, has a sleaze ball named Sergio that's that's in his in his uh, uh his I guess his his, 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 his helper his his, his thug his body yeah. whatever his enforcer 
um, his lackey, who's Manuel de Blas, plays. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when they've, when they're going to force Noemi to stay, you know, it's, it's, it's so bizarre because first he's, he's kind of being like overly nice to her. He even goes, you know, she even says she refused to, he tries to feed her. She refused to drink the milk and says she wants a glass of water, which is a way of getting him to go away so she can escape. So he's nice enough to like actually go and get her a glass of water. But then when he catches her trying to escape, he says, well, you know, <laughs> since you didn't treat me like a nice guy, I'm going to rape you anyway. You know, but it's, 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 I know. and then he does this weird Starts like strangling her, and she—I'm assuming she was coached by the director well, to do this. She I, does almost like she's having a seizure or something. She does this bizarre. What it looks like to me, maybe like I say, in, 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 a, in, a, in a better film, in a in a better shot sequence, mm-hmm. we would get the impression from the actress, or or just maybe a couple of extra shots, t- you know, mm-hmm. cut <clears throat> cut into the sequence, that what's happening to her has freaked this woman out so badly that she's almost in shock. Mm-hmm. Which would be all fine, well, and good, except that we then have to go through another 40 minutes of the movie yes. with this character in close proximity yes. to the man who raped her there you go. without her just coming unglued. It, it obviously had no bearing on anything, and that's, that, I kind of think, kind of annoys me even more, you know, that, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't like the rape scene, but if you're going to put it in there, the fact that it has absolutely no resonance on anything that happens after it, yeah. it yeah. screams even more that the, the kind of feeling that, we need something here for exploitable purposes. Right. You know, because in the first Blind Dead film... But the, the strange and, thing, there isn't even any nudity. Right, so what right. did they think that yeah, they were getting out of yeah, the scene? Yeah, again, again, the whole scene is just it's just senseless. You know, and you're right, because there's absolutely nothing... But the characters, you know, it's just... It just, like, had no... Nothing, you know, affects them the rest of the, the story-wise. Affects their interaction with one another. I mean... So so yeah, it's just a really uh, uh, yeah. It bothers me every time I see it. It's 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 for reasons other than just the fact that it's that it's a rape. You know, it's it's actually just very uh, just needless. So, and like I say, it it, it it's handled much better in the mm-hmm. first film. It's still distasteful. Mm-hmm. But there's yes, there's dialogue between the characters after it happens that allows you to that that allows you to understand how both of the characters are processing this event and the fact that it have it happens so close to the just about the point where all hell breaks loose in that film so right. there's not this whole stretch where these characters are are having to have, having to interact with each other in any other kind of civilized or be in each other's proximity because it's very shortly after that that the the dead break out and and then we're into the final yeah, third of the climax yeah, of the film exactly. so uh, it, it's yeah. an odd thing it to is. have place strange. within this and 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 I and I will say this, as I said earlier, Amado Diasorio was an intelligent man. He was an educated man. He was an intellectual. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at his movies, if you start to, to, to detect um, reoccurring themes, if you start to detect ideas that seem to be um, stretching a bit beyond the bounds of just telling you a, a mm-hmm. horror tale, you're probably on the right track because he was a smart man and he liked telling tales, but he also had uh, ambition, ambitions to be a bit more than just mm-hmm. what he was. And he wanted to be someone who um, added levels of interest, levels of intrigue that could be seen within those pictures that were more than just your basic surface level horror films. It can be enjoyed on that level, of course, mm-hmm. but there's more to it if you look for it. And of course, the most obvious is his choice of iconic monster. He creates these mm-hmm. these creatures who are uh, undead, uh, undead Templar knights uh, who turned against their religion and now uh, have a form of immortality that uh, is connected to 
uh, their rejection of the church and their church's rejection of them. And so there's, a, there, there's, all, the, there's all these possibilities of, of making commentary on religion, uh, even specifically about the Catholic Church. Uh, even dig down into it, and you can read into it mm-hmm. uh, an attack on the idea of the Crusades to the Holy Land themselves. There's all right. these kinds yeah. of things built within all four of these movies and just the concepts of the monster that's, monsters that he created mm-hmm. within them. Which means that if you start seeing something that's reoccurring, if you start seeing something that's happened twice in four movies, mm-hmm. something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Because that means... He definitely put it there for a specific purpose, or at least he's falling back on. And this is my this is mm. the hard part. This is the part that I don't like to think about, which mm. is that he did it in the first movie. He had he had a lesbian raped. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it's possible to see that within that movie and mm. not think of it as an attack or a commentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. on homosexuality. Right, but you see it in another movie two years later or three mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. You see it in another film in the same series, handled as callously as it is, and the, the the nicest I can be about it, the most generous way I can look on it, is we know how short the production time was, and he had to get something exploitable in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't even his idea to have the scene in there. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. But regardless, mm-hmm. that's where he went. That's what mm-hmm. he did. Mm-hmm. He went again to the mm-hmm. punish the lesbian by mm-hmm. having her raped by yeah. a man. Right, because watching we've watched you know most of the films we deal with on the show, Nashi Cast and Beyond Nashi, have been from the seventies, and very rarely, if ever, have we run across homosexual characters, both male and female, who aren't punished in some way, aren't representative of evil in some way, and also just are aren't just a, a complete stereotypes, you yeah. know, especially in the character in the case of the male homosexual characters. Certainly, so, certainly, yeah. So, what I fear, and the thing that I don't like to think about, and something that I have to either come to terms with or do some more research to, mm-hmm. to have this uh, have this to be something that isn't what I fear it is. But what I fear it is, is uh, a, a, a retrograde view of homosexuality that comes out either as a shortcut in storytelling mm-hmm. to get something nasty into the story, or it's something that He's fully behind it. Doesn't even think twice about. Well, it is interesting to think about the fact that she, her death is the only, as you mentioned before, her death is the only graphic one. Yes, and she is probably maybe the most decent character, if there yeah. are any in this film. You know, of the whole cast. You know, besides she's the, the only one, besides the yeah. professor character, she may be the, well, the, the one. Yeah, that's but the, the professor most, character's a loon. Oh, he is, but but he's, he's yeah. No, I agree with you, but but she may be really the most decent one, and she's the only one that gets the most graphic. She's death. the only one with 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 one with good motivation. Right, exactly. She's worried about there for her friend yes, yes. slash lover, yeah. and is willing to put her own life in danger mm-hmm. to try to find mm-hmm. slash save her. Mm-hmm. Now you could say that they. The killing of her was a way of, of that maybe we would expect her to be the survivor because of that, and then yeah, you know, yeah. you know, and, and if I'm spoiling things, maybe we should have said, "I, I don't know." How oh, far, by but, the way, we'll be spoiling, we'll be spoiling things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. By the way, we will be spoiling things. Yes. I can assure you, there's never any fog in that region you've indicated to me. That just doesn't make sense, but Mr. Tucker. We have a weather observation ship in that area. They'd have reported anything so peculiar as the phenomenon you've described to me. No, my friend, our ships are quite efficient. Besides, this is no pressure zone with absolutely no fog. And, and how can you explain to me how two girls got lost in a boat in a fog in that zone? They told you that? Yes. 
And they said the heat was equatorial. Hmm. At that point in the ocean? Mm-hmm. Oh. Were they these young ladies sending you up, my friend? No. May I ask you something? Do you know them very well? You're barking up the wrong tree, Professor Gruber. Those girls work for me. That's why I but pay them. My good man, don't get so flustered. I only ask that because you know what's said about young ladies. You never know about them. I don't believe that. It's because they're professionals and they wouldn't take advantage. All right, then. The problem is yours. I'm not running a missing persons bureau. This is a research center. It's a scientific research center. Now leave me alone. Let's get out of here. Wait. Professor Gruber? Professor Gruber? What on earth is it now? Well, nothing. I did come up with a strange idea, but I guess it's really not very important. Just about the galleon. What? Oh, wait a moment. Excuse me. Did you say galleon? Did they mention something about one? It could be just a fantasy of the girls. Hold a moment. But what did they say about a galleon? Did they really see one? Yes, and one went on board. At least that's what they told us. Maybe we talk to the girls. Can you contact them and get a bearing on the galleon? Yes and no. We have to locate them and not just by radio. Hmm. Well, they won't return. You can bet on that. They won't return. Nonsense. <laughs> Nonsense. <laughs> They'll never return. What do you mean? You know something we don't? That the galleon exists. Passing ships have seen it drifting on that meridian. But what has that to do with the girls not returning? <laughs> I don't know. And I can't tell you either. I only know that those who have seen it up close have never survived. All the information we have on the abandoned galleon are, well, messages from several commercial ships. Always small craft. Here you may see. Just a few descriptions sent to us by fishermen and yacht captains. They never returned. Apparently just swallowed up by the ocean. But the ship must be out there somewhere. Oh, no. Forget that. We've sent out our aircraft, our patrol boats. All of our efforts have been completely in vain. But I don't believe in that. That's how the legend started. What legend? That it's a phantom ship. Could it really be possible that you haven't heard about it at all? I don't believe in Santa Claus, phantom ships, or fortune tellers. I can see you've a very practical mind, Mr. Tucker. That's right, and I find Twilight Zone tales ridiculous. Before my scientific background obligated me to accept only the most immutable kind of evidence, not superstition. But now I've changed. But why? Well, you see, because some things can't possibly be explained by science. You mean all this about a disappearing ship? Well, as I said, I don't believe in your tales, and I've readied my yacht to go looking for the girls. You're determined, aren't you? I warn you, it could be dangerous. Whatever you say the risks are, I'm going to bring them back with me. Uh, very well. You're absolutely convinced, eh? <laughs> okay, so the crazy professor character mm-hmm. who... Um, as you can hear in the English dub, the the, the crazy professor character. I, I, I love I love the the voice work on that that character, mm-hmm. uh, and I love that he goes from he goes from one extreme to the other, and then explains himself. Yeah. Well, I'm a scientist, but I believe in this crazy batshit theory. <laughs> well, for for, for, those, for those unaware, okay, so they 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 can't figure out how a where these two yeah. girls got lost. Yeah. That they reported seeing some 18th century uh, span, you know galleon. Mm-hmm. That they that they ran into out in the middle of nowhere. They kept reporting that it was incredibly hot, but they were in the North Sea. So how the hell was it incredibly hot? They right. kept saying it's more like the tropics than being in the North Sea. So they go to talk mm-hmm. to this uh, scientist, who I thought he was just like you know a meteorologist. Yeah, it was just kind of explaining to him that well, we're not seeing any. This fog's yeah. not showing up. 
and and so so he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not crazy, but he's a bit of a loon. I won't call him crazy. He's not some kind of psycho torturing frogs or eccentric, something like that. He's, he's eccentric. He's, he's, yeah. So he now becomes part of the traveling crew yes, <laughs> that decides well. to go along on the hunt for this galleon because he's kind of fascinated by this whole idea himself. Mm-hmm. Well, he's. I, I think he's first there to, you know, I think one reason he's there is to, to deliver some exposition that the other characters couldn't possibly know. Right. Because I think I think he's also there to deliver a couple of ideas that Armando de Osorio was interested in at the time and wanted to make a part of this film. And it's kind of one of the, it's, 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 Kind of the neater aspects of what we've seen with Osario is his ability to base each one of these films on something different kind of mythology or some different kind of idea. Right. The last film having the Lovecraftian influence and you know and and the um, Dagon and all that sort of thing is with the with the Night of the Seagulls and with this one. There's two things that he's trying to work in the story, um, which is the legend of the Flying Dutchman, you right? Know, right. With the uh, ghost ship. And also, uh, if you uh, probably remember from the 70s, too, you might not remember it as well as me, you being a little bit younger now, but you might remember the <laughs> Bermuda cr- Triangle craze of the 70s. Oh, yes, it was a very big thing. And yeah, yeah. he does seem to be, without mentioning it, yes. he does seem to be, allu- he does seem mm-hmm. to be alluding to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he doesn't directly, yeah, right. They never directly mention the Bermuda Triangle, but yeah, I'm sure we all remember the flood of paperbacks in the 70s and the stories oh, about yeah. the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle and all that. So I think that that combined with the Flying Dutchman are just two kind of things he's trying to reference with the plot of this film uh, which is cool you know I think that's some neat ideas there but yeah I think the professor was sort of to the only one you know he had to have a character who can know something here that these other characters are not going to know about these you know histories of the Templars or the history of this ship and or have that interest in that they're going on there for to you know they're going to the ship to rescue the girls and then also they find out about this treasure thing you know but he's going yeah. as a more for the the historic, you know, more as a researcher, a scientist. Well, he's the know. one who drops the information about the treasure. He is. No, you're right. He is because he finds the yeah, He knows. Yeah. But, but again, he knows the history. But what I think is interesting about this character, the 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 scientist characters, he actually ends up being kind of the most useful, if any of them are useful, yeah. in terms of he has the best ideas. He's the only one who has any real, comes up with any real ideas or plans to... Well, for them that, to survive, and I think that yeah. that's really surprising, considering that it's not usually that type of character you would think would be the one that ends up being kind of the most dynamic in some ways, you know, as much as he can be, you know. So, <laughs> well, yeah, and it's and you're and you're right. The movie does kill off the only character. I mean, because we can kind of have some sympathy for the professor because mm-hmm. even even though he's a bit of a loon, mm-hmm. he's not he's not harming anybody. Right, he right. doesn't have any. He doesn't have any 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 evil intent. Mm-hmm. So. He's a, he's a perfectly fine character as far as you know being someone to quote unquote identify with. Although I I, I don't know that you necessarily need a character to identify right, with. Right. But the uh, the whole concept of putting us in a position where the character that we kind of think might be the final girl, quote unquote, mm-hmm. the survivor of this entire disaster, mm-hmm. is killed the most violently once yeah. they all get to the ship. But yeah. we're, we're jumping ahead of ourselves. Hang on a second here. Yeah. Uh, but before we get any further, uh, mm-hmm. let's, oh, let's, right. let's, yeah. let's talk about, uh, let's talk about alternate titles. Now, listen, mm-hmm. this is, the, uh, first of all, before we even get to the alternate titles, I would like to point out that this movie uh, was produced in 1974, mm-hmm. but it came out, it only came out in West Germany in 1974. Even in Spain, it didn't come out until 1975. It didn't come out in the United States until 76. And for some reason, it didn't come out until in France until 1978. Hmm. Wow! So I have no hmm. idea. I, mean, I guess that's just you know different distribution deals for different mm-hmm. countries. But at the same time, the official year of release for the film is you know 1974. Right. But as was true with a lot of these Spanish horror films and a lot of 
you know European exploitation you know films of this of this period as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were released in different countries in different years entirely. Sometimes many years apart. Right. Sometimes five to six years after they were produced. And in this case, it's it's as if the Ghost Galleon kind of just trickled out over the mm-hmm. world yeah. <laughs> over the course of about three or four years <laughs> in a very strange and kind of pointless. Uh, hopscotching way so, oh, that was odd to know but uh okay of course we refer to the film as the ghost galleon mm-hmm. which is how it's primarily known these days uh but it was produced under the well its spanish title translates as the cursed ship mm. which is a, a good title yeah i like that but there are a lot of other titles as well mm-hmm. that have been used for this movie most Famously, I guess, it's the one that pops up if you mm. go to the Internet Movie Database. If you go to mm. the IMDb, mm. it comes up as Horror of the Zombies. Yes. Which is yeah. kind of reductive because, once yeah. again, as yeah. we probably talked about before, I don't really consider The Blind Dead to be zombies. No. This is... Uh, one of the titles I know was... Uh, well, one of the titles is Zombie Flesh Eater. There is actually... They do actually eat flesh in this, which I think is... I, know. I think this is this the only is the one where they do this that. This is the only one that, that intimates that there is some cannibalism going on instead of just mm. blood drinking. But Horror of the Zombies was the title that just... I'll talk more about this later, but right now... Just say that the first way I ever saw this film was I rented it from a blockbuster and that was the title it was under was Horror of the Zombies. Well, there were a number of alternate U.S. titles including Ship of Zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, for, at some point it was supposedly referred to as The Blind Dead 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never seen that in, in, in any kind of ad art or anything like that Maybe. either, but um, yeah. I'll take their word for it. Of course, The Ghost Galleon and then uh, I, I really like the, the title... Ghost Ships of the Blind Dead. Mm-hmm. Except now, it see, probably that, should be singular, not plural, but otherwise I like that. I like that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I like Ghost Ship of the... Like, if it was Ghost Ship of the Blind Dead, that's pretty cool. That's a great title, but once again, I kind of prefer the Ghost Galleon because... Oh, yeah, I like that It's best. very yeah. it's, Well, first of all, of course, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's an evocative title, but it also does point, as you, as you talked about earlier, it does point toward uh, Osorio attempting to use the Flying Dutchman yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, legend... And, and kind of weaving it into a story with his blind dead creatures. So I thought I, I like mm-hmm. that quite a bit. So once again, we have a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of different alternate titles. The French title translates as uh, uh, what the world of the blind dead. No, oh, wow. So hmm. okay, yeah, good, good, good. But cursed ship. I like that as a title. I like, I like Cursed Ghost Galleon yeah. is probably always going to be my favorite. I think so. I like uh, one thing I think would have worked is even though again it's, a, it's kind of generic, but the horror of the Evil Dead just because it actually at least shows some consistency between the one before it, which is also known as Return, Return of, of the, the Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. So yeah. that's at least keeping some consistency in the titles that's there. True. In that way, that's true, so. and that may have been a reason to you know for that for that particular retitling. That's mm. not a, that's not a bad jump to make mm. so that you can mm. put them side by side yeah. on the. On the VHS racks. <laughs> right. <laughs> and have yeah. people go, oh, let's rent both of these. <laughs> uh, I do believe that you've said that you caught it first. Did you catch it on television first? No, no, rented it. Rented you rented it. it. You rented it on From video Blockbuster, time. yeah, under the title of Horror of the, Zo- Horror of the Zombies. And I f- think that I knew that it was a blind dead. I was aware of the blind dead because I believe when I rented it would have been after I got the book I've mentioned many times on this show that I love so much, the the encyclopedia of, of horror film that was edited by Phil Hardy. Uh, that was so, to me, I, I still call it the greatest single horror film reference book. You know, the one that I, that I really connected all the dots of Paul Nash's films and right. first found out about Coffin Joe. And, 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 uh, and I believe that I had already gotten that book and had read these descriptions of these blind dead films. 
And I think that's one reason why I still, even after seeing this film and, and not being too impressed with it first time around, still thought the creatures were really cool and knew that kind of what they were more known for was riding the horses, you know, in the book. Right. It had described a lot of these other movies where they're, they're on horseback and riding slow motion. How so wait a minute, was, it this, was, so. was this the first of the Blind Dead movies you ever saw? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. That's what, oh, I, yeah, wow. that's what I'm saying. Is, is it was my introduction to the series. But, again, I always felt, you know, it didn't turn me off the rest of the series just because yeah. I just felt like I think I'm not seeing these creatures in their best representation, in their best environment. But that's because so, you'd, yeah. you'd read about them right. before. So right. It's, that's, that, that goes back to something that you and I have talked about periodically throughout, all you know, eight years of podcasting, mm-hmm. which is that... Um, we're part of we're part of a generation of of horror film fans who um, came into came into being really at the beginning of the video age of the VHS age, and so luckily we were able to. There weren't many of them, but we did have a, a few reference books that allowed us to kind of dig in mm-hmm. and try to figure out uh, you know where these movies came from and what they were mm-hmm. and and what we were looking at and. Just get some kind of basic information. Sometimes it wasn't even great information or, or mm-hmm. it wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily accurate and there wasn't mm-hmm. a whole lot of it, but it gave us a context for what we were looking at mm-hmm. and what to seek out afterwards. I can remember sitting down yeah. with, of all things, like the, the Leonard Malton movie guide mm-hmm. and piecing together the chronology of production on Hammer's Frankenstein films, trying to figure out which ones I'd not seen uh, yeah, yet. Yeah, right. Yeah. And like, you know, what year they were mm-hmm. produced in and all of a sudden the other, just trying to dope out, okay, what have I seen? What have I not mm-hmm. seen? And things like that. Again, we're dealing with the nightmare of uh, retitling, especially when it comes yeah. to films like the Spanish and German and Italian films. Then you really just, things got so convoluted, you're right, trying to piece together, have I seen this one or not? You Which know, one is this? Another title. When was, okay, wait a minute, was this yeah. one produced? Oh God, is this connected to that? <laughs> or is this a retitling that yeah. makes it look like it's part of that series? Mm-hmm. Oh geez, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I wasn't aware because I didn't see I did not see the Ghost Galleon mm-hmm. until it came out in the coffin set mm-hmm. the the yeah. uh, the Blue Underground DVD mm-hmm. set that is still uh, the only way to see it here in the states that I'm aware of yeah yeah and um, I'm glad I'm glad that I saw it that way because uh, you you got to see the first one was the first one you, you the first well, the first the, the first Blind Dead film the you know, Tombs of the Blind Dead is the first yeah, one I saw yeah that. very which is the way most people you yeah. need that's yeah you would that would be the preferred way would yeah. be because that one because I think most people. Most people, not everybody, but I think most people do believe that, feel that's still the best. You know, oh, yeah, I, I, and I would agree. And, well, I will say, while, while we're paused here and kind of going through the plot of the film, I will mm-hmm. say that I did throw up the question on the NashiCast Facebook page and ask people what um, uh, what they thought of the third Blind Dead film here. And a lot of people chimed in. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna, I, People... If I'm not saying your name, it's because I fear mispronouncing it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, for all you German folks, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but I don't want to mispronounce your name. I like I like this comment. Okay, I'll try to I'll try to say his name. Uh, Sto, Stohan S T O J O N. Yeah, probably. I'm gonna go Stohan, Stohan Stahik, right? Stahik, Stahik, Stahik. I'm not trying his last name. Okay. No way. I'm going, <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm going anywhere near his last name. Okay. Uh, because boy, I know I'll mess it up. But mm-hmm. he said uh, he he called uh, Ghost Galleon maybe the weakest, and yet. The most original. I, may, I think you may have a point. You know. And that is a good point it to is. have it made. Is. Yep. Um, and it's something that I would probably have overlooked if he had not made that mm-hmm. comment because mm-hmm. generally I think we almost all fans of these, this series kind of brush past mm-hmm. 
the originality of certain aspects of it. Yeah. As you said, yeah. he's always, in all four films, he's trying to bring different elements into them mm-hmm. to try to keep mm-hmm. it from being stale, to keep it mm-hmm. from, to keep himself from repeating mm-hmm. the same thing over mm-hmm. and over. And mm-hmm. in this case, I think he's right. I think mm-hmm. trying to combine ideas of the, the Bermuda Triangle mm-hmm. and the Flying Dutchman with the Blind Dead, mm-hmm. that ma- that should have made for a better stew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the oh. film. Yeah, the film. You got to admire what it attempted, what it wanted to do. Probably a lot of things should not have been attempted on that shooting schedule or on that budget. You know, but, yeah. But yeah, yeah he definitely. I, I think he was. Yeah, I really. That's one of the things I really like about this series is is how different the four films are from one another. Let's see. Grayson chimed in with uh, supermodels running from the blind dead. Not the best of the series, but it's a very fun and cheesy movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, cheesy's a mm-hmm. a debatable term, mm-hmm. and I'm mm-hmm. I'm always wondering how people mean. Mm-hmm. It's a cheesy movie. I know because we get so deep into these films and we've so involved that that I don't think cheesy really applies in our minds yeah. anymore to these you know these films. But, but not not all of that. I'm willing to and say cheesy is a very uh, vague kind of term anyway. It's, it's probably yeah, a lot of yeah, definitions. Like, what do you what mean by people? that versus mm-hmm. what I might mean by that? For mm-hmm. me, from Hell It Came, the Killer Tree mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. is cheesy, mm-hmm. but. It, it, it almost has to be that starkly bizarre mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, me to kind mm-hmm. of feel that way about. It. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. Tim chimes in with uh, the first. It was the first one I saw. Uh, it had the title of Zombie Flesh Eater, which didn't make any sense, but I liked it anyway. I didn't realize it was a series until a friend told me. I still like it, though it is my third favorite. My favorites are one, four, three, and two. Uh-huh. And that means Tim likes the second film least, least, yeah. which is really odd because yeah. I, I do not feel that way. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Don chimed in with, I like the unique turn that this film took by going out to sea, stuck aboard a floating vessel with walking skeleton Templars. Spooky. Could it have been better? Yes. I still find it entertaining and my second favorite Blind Dead film after the first. See, there's, okay, there you have okay. a good example of somebody who's, who's, who likes it next to the first one. Uh, uh, we have another Tim chime, chiming in mm-hmm. with, I really enjoy it, despite the fact that the budget was practically non-existent. The shots of the boat were ridiculous, but I really liked the doom and gloom ending. We'll get there. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Uh, let's see, another Don. I'm alternating Tim's and Don's here. Hold on. <laughs> Uh, I've always liked this one and felt it somewhat overshadowed by the greatness of the other entries. The atmosphere of the first half, where they explore the ship, is better than expected and gets somewhat suspenseful. The fine addition of the Templars riding through the ship... Riding through the ship. They don't ride. But no, no, they glide. They, they glide. don't ride. Uh, through the ship is quite fun, and the novel idea of getting them out of Berzano gives this some freshness, for better or worse. Granted, the special effects don't hold up being quite cheaply done, but being genre fans, why should that bother us? I think we've all seen worse, so why is this one scra- uh, scrapped on for an issue we overlook in others? True, it's the weakest, but I think it's a little underrated. I I like what he has to say there. I do too. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna when I come out of the closet here very soon, I'll mm-hmm. admit that I think that it I may have been underrating it a little bit over the years. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna agree with him mm-hmm. there. I'll see, John, I'll see John, my least favorite in the series, a slow pace and some poor model work, but in its favor, it stars Jack Taylor. The change of setting is novel. It stars Jack Taylor. The shots of Templars coming out of the sea are great, and it stars Jack Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes it's all you need. Sometimes all you need is a little, a little Jack. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I agree. It does star Jack Taylor. Yeah, it does. I, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, Ryan says, uh, a toy boat burning in a bathtub just doesn't get much better than this. <laughs> He's right. Of all the toy boats, 
burning in all the bathtubs. This is the best, the best one. Oh, Dusty says uh, it's a smart movie with shoddy effects. The idea of faking imminent harm for publicity is more relevant now than ever. Remember the balloon boy? <laughs> Having Templars crash the party makes it all the more sweet. It's a good film, and I dig it. Uh, Scott chimes in. Uh, I think it's actually really good. Mediocre special effects have never stopped me from grooving on a film, and they don't stop me here. It's the least of the Blind Dead films, but it's still a good time. Can I agree with him there? Mm-hmm. And let's see. Last, uh, for me, it's the weakest of the four films, but I still pull it out of the coffin set to watch from time to time. It's always a fun film to revisit. Mm-hmm. Appreciate and all the input, folks. I'm going to agree with him there. That was from David. <laughs> and uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I'm... I, I always like to have, for, for when we've talked about the Blind Dead films before, we've always mm-hmm. talked about how, in general, mm-hmm. we always think that the first two are, mm-hmm. are the best of the two, mm-hmm. and you kind of go back and forth, which one do you like better of the first two? Mm-hmm. And then there's the fourth one, and then the third one trailing down the end. And yet, the more you talk to people who are fans of these films, you yeah. see that third <clears throat> film mm-hmm. being a, a, a floater, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a floater <laughs> that moves mm-hmm. yeah. all over... The listing of quality from first to you know from from best to worst, mm-hmm. and I think that's fascinating. And 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 what's great about this is I have had a little bit of a change of heart on this film. Mm-hmm. It's still the weakest in my opinion, mm-hmm. but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Swerve us back into the film mm-hmm. as smoothly as I can. Mm-hmm. I will. I will. I will go like this. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Phantom Galleon, uh, it carries the coffins of the Knights Templar. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're the they're the baddies on the ship. Mm-hmm. This is once again another movie, as we talked about on the commentary track we did for Night of the Seagulls, where in this film it's not expressly said that they're hunting you by sound. In other words, no one says it out mm-hmm. loud, but if you pay attention, it's very clear as these. First, these gorgeous bikini-clad women mm-hmm. try to escape from them. Mm-hmm. It's clear that they'll make a noise, and their heads will turn toward them, mm-hmm. and things of that nature, and they move toward them only when they're making sound. But nobody ever figures out mm-hmm. how to be silent enough. In fact, to they're not just get constantly caught. making sound. They're constantly breathing and crying out, and you know, and, and so yeah, <laughs> they have no trouble with tracking them. So our our uh, rescue party take a, t- takes a yacht out to the same area where. Uh, the uh, the our two our two gorgeous bikini models were lost, mm-hmm. and of course this includes now the professor. We have Howard Tucker, uh, sports supporting goods magnet. Exactly. <laughs> we have uh, Lillian, that's mm-hmm. Maria Percy's character, mm-hmm. tagging along because she's trying to protect her investment. Mm-hmm. And they're dragging along Noemi, yeah, who might be willing to go along on this anyway because she's, she's wanting to find the girl anyway. Find Kathy, yeah. Uh, Manuel de Blas character, mm-hmm. the rapist. Yeah, the nice guy rapist, right? Yeah, the, the nice guy rapist. Yeah. So this is our rescue crew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> here's the interesting interesting mm-hmm. thing. Before they find the gap, before they get they find the area, they find mm-hmm. the galleon and and, mm-hmm. and get onto the galleon themselves. Mm-hmm. I noticed a very interesting 
difference between the English dub and the Spanish language version of the film. Okay. Which is the dialogue between Jack uh, Jack Taylor's uh, sports magnate character mm-hmm. and Maria Pershy's rather, uh, shall we say, uh, cutthroat... Yeah, no kidding. Uh, ...businesswoman. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing, and this is another little bit of possible social commentary, shall mm-hmm. we say. Mm-hmm. In the English dub... Jack Taylor's just worried because you know he's a rich man just mm-hmm. trying to you know just trying to make a name for himself and mm-hmm. and uh, put himself in the public eye to make more money. Mm-hmm. In the Spanish version, he saw this publicity stunt as another st- a step to push him into a political career. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very big difference bigger between stakes, the two. Yeah. Do- yeah, much bigger stakes, but also that's really. The I mean, it, in other words, the Spanish version is a more political stab, mm-hmm. a more yeah. because this guy is this guy is a ruthless, black-hearted <laughs> user of people who's using his money indiscriminately uh, and, and in ways that are quite honestly dangerous mm-hmm. to create the conditions for him to be to be a politician. Mm-hmm. And that is not what's in the English dub. In the English dub, it's just kept at him being you know kind of ruthless capitalist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now both are possible commentaries, but the one that really feels like a stab is the the Spanish dub, where he's he makes def, he makes two comments while they're on the yacht heading out to the to the location where they're hunting for the galleon about this possibly screwing up his mm-hmm. chances to have a political career, mm-hmm. and I found that to be interesting because uh, that's something. The English dub is just not going to give you, mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. in the dialogue. It's something mm-hmm. that can easily be changed, mm-hmm. and it points to how you can play around with uh, the motivations of a character from country to country, depending on the language you're listening to this film in, and it will color your opinion of these characters one to one degree or another, because I don't think anybody mm-hmm. would have any sympathy for this guy regardless, but you're probably going to have less sympathy for him if he's putting people in danger to craft a political career, right? Yeah. Then, if he just was an idiot <laughs> yeah. trying to make money, who screwed up and, po- and, and got a couple people killed? <laughs> yeah. Well, I even added my notes here at one point. I just put like, "This is the bitchiest cast of characters I've ever seen." <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I swear to God, these these like <laughs> these these, and it may be uh, yeah, more may be emphasized. Right. It maybe come off more in the English dub than it necessarily does in the. I don't know if the Spanish language and the Spanish uh, if it would come across as much of this, but in the English dub. You know, the characters just bitch at each other constantly. You know, oh, yeah. and this, they're just, nobody says anything nice to anybody at any point no. uh, through this whole film. But the character of Lillian that's played by Maria, Maria Pershy to me is, I think, a little hard to get a handle on and a little bit inconsistent at times. I think that there's times when she's almost comes off as, as maybe the voice of reason at times. and then But then she turns around and gives in this scene you're talking about here. On the yacht. Where yeah. she pretty much says, if we don't find these two girls... Then we'll just get rid of Noemi and the professor. You yeah. know, she says, because what's yeah. two more? And you're just sounding like, holy crap. Okay. Yeah. So apparently she's like even more evil than, she's, than, she's than he co- is. She's cold hearted and ruthless. Yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't his idea. That was her exactly. idea. And you're just yeah. like, oh, wow. So we're yeah, dealing like, with these. So the, the two ringleaders of this whole mm-hmm. this whole ridiculous scheme mm-hmm. really are yeah. cold hearted, ruthless human beings yeah. who are more than willing to kill people to mm-hmm. save them, you know. To save their own skins or to just keep themselves from being possibly slightly inconvenienced. Who yeah. knows? They don't know anything at this point. They're just making contingency plans about, well, you know, if they're dead, we'll just kill these two, too. <laughs> Nobody will know. Nobody knows right, right here, right? Fucking yeah. kill them. <laughs> the, uh, the, I, I'm pretty sure the person 
dubbing Maria Percy as the same woman who dubs her in Hunchback of the Morgue. Uh, if it's not, they're definitely giving her the same kind of accent, which is sort of Germanic, you know. And I thought yeah. that was interesting because she is an Austrian actress. And Hunchback of the Morgue, of course, takes place in Germany. This film, on the other hand, there's nothing that indicates that she would have to be a German character of German descent or whatever. But I think it's interesting that they, I'm pretty sure they picked the same person and the same voice for her, just probably because of the way she looks or knowing that she's an Austrian descent there. The voice, you know, it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the same one. Could have been, yeah, could have yeah. been. I wonder who. Uh, I wish I could find out who I the know, voice actor was. That's one of the hardest things to look up. Is I know, I know. there's been those great articles that uh, Video Watchdog did about that company that did so many of these dubs, you know. But but uh, there's right. still not really a not a whole lot of comprehensive lists out there of people who dubbed voices, you know, as far as specific characters, specific films. Would be would be nice to know because if uh, there was a particular voice actress who. Mm-hmm. In English, dubbed Maria Percy, mm. you know, film after film after film. That would yeah. be kind of cool to know. Yeah. Anyway. Yep. So, once uh, our rescue party boards the galleon, uh, they discover that their own ship. Mm-hmm. Well, they 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 took they took a little you know they took a small boat from mm. the yacht to get to the mm. galleon, and they they explained this very carefully in the dialogue so that we're not wondering you know why would you pull this giant yacht up next to the <laughs> yeah right. Next to the, uh, it wouldn't have been a smart move to do that anyway. Right. But the, the the clumsiness with which that dialogue mm-hmm. is delivered is, is, is mm-hmm. at least in the English dub, is is really kind of fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They they all pile onto the ship, and then uh, not soon after that, although they've tied up, they clearly tied up their their uh, their smaller boat next mm-hmm. to the galleon. They watch as it fades away, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. you know drifts away. Yeah, it no, just no, literally disappears. Disappears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that would be in the point at which yeah. uh, my bowels loosened, <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. I screamed <clears throat> and ran in a circle and mm. possibly tried to find a way to end my own life mm. before the obvious horrors that were about to unfold. Because mm. shit just don't disappear. Yeah, and it's the first hint we have of what's another one of the better ideas by in, the, in this plot or neater, kind of more original ideas to this particular. Oh, this should be interesting because I'm wondering if you if you're going in the same direction. Go ahead. No, I'm not saying whether I think it's. It totally works, or if I'm saying, but I think it is. It's 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 a definite twist that we don't see in the other three films. Is the parallel dimensions, the okay, parallel yeah. dimensions here? Um, now, let's also I, just to make sure we're story straight. Now, by this point, Kathy has already met her fate, right? By yeah. this point, they get on here. Kathy, yeah, who was the second woman, she's both, both of them are dead. Yeah, and, and it was in Kathy's death. We actually do finally get our see first reveal about thirty minutes into the film. You finally see the Templars. Uh, but we don't see what they do with Kathy. You know, we can't no. tell that we. They it looks like they either throw her off the boat or into the hold or whatever. But oh, into the hold. They definitely throw yeah, her into the hold. But I think so. At this point in the film, you're wondering, okay, how huge is this ship? You know, how why aren't these people once they get on this ship? You know, we're wondering like why aren't they? Why aren't the characters that each character comes on the ship? Why aren't they seeing anything left trace of the characters that were there before them? Right. We then eventually find out why that is happening. Why that that what that reason. Is with the plot, which is the parallel, the fact parallel that this boat dimension. just actually does not exist in the same reality as, as, the, rest as, of the as the world. world. Right. Which is the only way I can accept one of the most visually irritating things in the movie. And I'm going to address that now. Okay. Now, once the rescue team gets there and they board the ship, they're doing it uh, just as night falls, and so this isn't as much of a concern for mm-hmm. the latter part of the film. But when we fir- when there when our two bikini models who have already who get killed mm-hmm. in the first part of the film first encounter the galleon, they're in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they pull up to the galleon and one of them gets onto the galleon, there's no blue sky. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, 
I, I do I do love the idea of them, of of once they're on the the galleon mm-hmm. they are in a different world mm-hmm. quote unquote mm-hmm. I like that idea but I cannot get past the fact that now there is no sky that it's just this black backdrop yeah and that's really irritating to me and it takes me out of the movie mm-hmm. every time for that first segment now once the rescue party's there they get on in the night mm-hmm. it works for me I don't mind that. It lo- mm-hmm. it looks just fine. They're even some. They even make a comment at one point about seeing the stars. Mm-hmm. Right? Fine. Cool. Good. Happy with that. But it's one of the it's it's mm-hmm. one of the irritating things in the movie that pushed me away from it and made me go, oh man, mm-hmm. they needed mm-hmm. to, they needed to, to they needed to address that in the mm-hmm. dialogue. Somebody needed to mm-hmm. say something early on about how. Wait a minute. Where the hell did the sky go? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Once yeah. I turn. Once I step mm-hmm. onto this boat, suddenly. Mm-hmm. It's night here. Yeah. Because that's the best way to have put it. And I wish that somewhere in the dialogue someone had said, wait a minute, it was day. Mm-hmm. Why is it night? Mm-hmm. And I wish there had been a little bit better dialogue because the rescuers end up having to stay on the, the galleon mm-hmm. for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And it turns out to be like 14 hours. And they realize, wait a minute, it should be day. And yeah. I wish there had been more emphasis in the dialogue on, hey, where the fuck is the sun? Yeah. I say that. Now, I think it does explain, I believe... At some point, we do get an explanation of why characters sleep so much, right? On right. Yeah, I know that's good because that bothered me a lot through watching the film again. It's like, what? Yeah, what? It's like God, these characters just sleep all the time and all. But finally, it says that that's actually part and parcel of, of the atmosphere or something about this is that it's actually forcing characters, it's making them drowsy yeah. when on the ship and they sleep for an inordinately long period of time mm-hmm. because of something. So once they kind of explain that, it's like, okay, you covered that track there which, which is which is nice i like yeah, that yeah but i wanted something there for no the i get you i get what you're saying yeah because that is something that really has always mm-hmm. bugged me about this movie and it will always bug me about this movie mm-hmm. as will other yeah. aspects yeah. of the you know of the production which are all attributable mm-hmm. to the fact that there's no fucking money yeah so do you mind telling us how this this boat arrived in this position Yes, I can explain it to you. Well, we're in the middle of a nightmare. This mist isn't real. Nor is this authentic 16th century galleon real. Nothing is real. Science would deny it. But it doesn't exist. And you? Are you real? Because I'm not so sure science wouldn't deny your existence as well, Gruber. Believe it or not, I'm beginning to doubt it. My whole world has been science and truth. The only truth missing here is a little bit of light. And this. Uh, Ah, you're quite a practical man, aren't you, Mr. Tucker? That's the big difference between fact and theory. Okay, we've meandered long Mm. enough. Mm. Much like this film. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about the crux of the film, which is the final section of the film, mm-hmm. where we have the rescue party on the boat, mm-hmm. pretty sure but unaware mm-hmm. because they have no mm-hmm. proof that the two bikini-clad gorgeous ladies have been killed on the boat. They spend some time there, and while everyone else is asleep, Noemi, showing that she really is the most laudable character on the mm-hmm. ship, goes poking around inside mm-hmm. the bowels of this mm-hmm. ghostly spooky and let's admit 
the set of this mm. boat of yes. this ghost galleon awesome. is awesome. I don't know if they built this for this for this film or if this was a standing set or a mm. set from a previous movie yeah. that they were able to to take over and use. But it's great. It's great. It's very detailed. As bad as the toy boat is, exact polar opposite is this set. The boat yeah. set of the boat itself is fantastic. Even even the 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 lower decks are, yeah. are, are yeah. well done. I love. Okay, of course. We have the blind dead in this film, mm-hmm. and so we have those wonderful rising from the dead uh, mm-hmm. sequences where they mm-hmm. they get up out of their uh, mm-hmm. their their boxes, their coffins. Always, mm-hmm. always very cool. So she goes off hunting, and of course ends up encountering the blind dead, like yeah. you do on this right. boat. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's what happens yeah. when you're poking around mm-hmm. on the ghost galleon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is you come up against the blind dead. Um. And she is attacked and viciously killed in a prolonged yeah. kind of nerve yeah, it's, it is, sequence it is. Uh-huh. where she is uh, murdered horrendously by these creatures. It's right, it's it's, right. it's a very it's 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 the most um, it's it's probably the best scene in the film until mm-hmm. the very end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it goes on longer than you think it's going to go on. Yeah, it it, it put me in mind on this viewing. Of it being so long and prolonged and kind of, uh, kind of nerve rattling in its intensity and its mm. kind of odd intensity, mm-hmm. that it kind of reminded me of that feeling of dread that I get with like a, a torture porn film mm-hmm. because yeah. it yeah. really extends mm-hmm. the 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 horror of what's happening to this woman mm-hmm. out further than you would expect it to. And then she's hacked to bits. I mean, mm-hmm. her her head is mm-hmm. almost completely severed. Mm-hmm. They start drinking the blood. Her arms are cut off, and they start gnawing on the bo- on the on the body itself. And it's uh, as we spoke about mm-hmm. before. It it is um, the only instance in the in the four films of cannibalism. Right. So it seems as if it's not just a question of them drinking the blood, mm-hmm. but her her death is the one violent death in the entire film. There's a lot of creeping and stalking and. General Knights Templar are uh, atmospheric spookiness. Right. I think there might have been, now that I think about it, references in the other films, or at least one, maybe not the seagulls, about eating hearts, you know, about like eating possibly, I think, but I don't remember specifically for but sure. It's, but, but, it's that, always, but it's ceremonial. It's it's, it's like it's, a ceremonial and it's before, purposes. And it's before they're the blind dead. Yes, you're right. You're right. And yeah. this is the only one of the four yeah. films, by the way, that does not have a setup sequence showing you Mm-hmm. The uh, the Knights Templar a flashback, yeah, uh, yeah. There's no flashback scene to them mm-hmm. uh, doing something that causes them to become the blind dead, mm-hmm. which is another another thing that I think we we can chalk up to a cost a cost saving. I was going to say, and actually, this is a film that I think could have actually used something like that. Uh, yeah, probably for the main reason being that I think it would have been a little bit of a break from the look and the constant dark, foggy, shrouded. Once we've seen so much of that, yeah, I think it would have been a nice visual break in the film to have had a little less of just wandering the decks that we get so much of and wandering the the ship. You know, yes, this is a beautiful set, you know, but at some point there's a point in the film where you know it, it becomes a little too much protracted, a little too much padding. I think some of that padding, if they could have afforded to do it, I think some of that padding could have been replaced by something that would have been. The ship in its original time, and with the sunlight out, and like with the bright. Oh, I see what, you're, see what I'm saying. Visually, I think it would have been a nice yeah. little bit of a break in the film to come idea, back, yeah. you know. But I understand this. I understand why they couldn't do it. I understand why, yeah. knowing everything else we do about the production, 
uh, why they couldn't have had the. I think I think the flashback might have really served. A, a, it might have helped in this case to have done right. something like right. that. To a, but anyway, the, well, to to the point of talking about the the aspects of the movie that that, that work. Of course, the atmosphere and the creepiness yes. do, does. Work. Oh, it does. Yeah, the score works. But then again. All four movies have the same score, and it's it's a it's an awesome one. It's yeah. great. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, there's yeah. there's no getting around the sheer mm. power and yeah. and creepy mm-hmm. effect mm-hmm. that that music has, and that's mm-hmm. throughout this movie, and it's well done, and it's very well used in this. There, is, yeah. there are cues in this movie that I think uh, are used better than some of the some some of the times they're used in the previous two movies. Another. An, uh, well, let's 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 wrap the plot up yeah. because remember, people, we are going to spoil this. We do yes, hope, yes, we, we do are. we do hope you have seen this film before you come yeah. to us to to listen to us babble mumble through this thing. But the rescuers uh, spend some time on the boat. The professor turns up the captain's log mm-hmm. and starts uh, piecing together. Uh, in another uh, bit of expedi- exp- clumsy exposition dump, mm-hmm. we find out from the captain's log uh, how in the world this 18th century craft. Mm-hmm. Ended up with 16th century Knights Templar corpses on it, or we kind of find out. Mm-hmm. I the, the, the yeah. movie the movie yeah. the movie yeah. wants to have its cake and and yeah. have dust all over it at the same time. <laughs> That's right. But the uh, the joy of of this is that it's got it's got the it's got just enough of the uh, the high gloss of someone trying desperately to tell you a creepy story that. We're on this ship, and the and the and the atmosphere mm-hmm. by that time it almost kind of puts it over for, mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I like this. I like this section of the movie mm-hmm. the most because although I can nitpick on, I wish somebody had said, "Where the hell is the sun?" After they realize they've been <laughs> right. on it for fourteen hours. Right. Once the professor and uh, Lillian, uh, Maria Percy's character, start looking around on the on the lower decks and discover that room. And they break into it, and they find, lo and behold, that that treasure hold there. Mm-hmm. That's when I think the movie really pays off to a lar- in a large mm-hmm. to to a large degree for me because mm-hmm. it's both it's it, it's been visually interesting for a long period of time now. And now yeah. we have that added treasure thing that yeah. that is yeah. accurate. It's there, yeah, right? And the 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 coffins of the blind dead are in the room right outside mm-hmm. it which mm-hmm. points to them being placed there possibly as guardians of this treasure and I, there's a yeah. whole lot and that doesn't have to be brought up it's just visually shown to mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and I like that aspect I of it I like yeah. the fact that nobody stands there and goes I think they may have been placed here as sentinels mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad that's not yeah. there because that would yeah. have been a clumsy bit of exposition that would have taken mm-hmm. away from it in my mm-hmm. opinion there's so much here that works in this final section of the movie <laughs> and yes Nasty characters gonna do nasty things and be mm. nasty to each other. Right. So once all hell starts to break loose and the blind dead rise and decide to start killing them all, uh, it's only the professor who has any decent ideas. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the obvious idea, which is let's get the fuck off this boat. Yeah. He has the the wonderful idea of of, of constructing a crucifix. The the, mm-hmm. the 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 night the Knights Templar blind dead are are stalking toward mm-hmm. them. So he crafts a crucifix, sets it on fire, and kind mm-hmm. of waves it at them. Here's here's a question for you: Is the movie intimating that because this never happens in any of the other films where we have a crucifix right. that's able to hold them off? Right. And I'm wondering if it was the crucifix that was holding them off, which would be a neat little thing because right. 
they they uh, turned away from their religion and mm, and there's a satanic worship. kind of effigy yeah. in there over the treasure that's you know they keep right. showing in the film from time so, to time. So so clearly this is some kind of satanic thing. So mm. is it the crucifix that they're retreating from, or are they retreating from the fact that the guy set it on fire? See, yeah, and that's right. It's kind of neat that that question is never really totally answered. What is yeah. it that they're backing away from? I very much like that mm. because mm. that's one of those neat little bits of mm. ambiguity that could have been cleared up in the dialogue, but. I think there's a reason you don't clear that up. Yeah. You know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like, no, I, I think it is kind of nice that there's leaves you to wonder about that. And once they do back them down, the, pre, the then the presser has the next really, actually really good idea. I mean, let's or, torch this thing and drop and let's throw the coffins overboard. overboard you know, yeah. now ultimately that doesn't tend to work as we found out, oh, but no, it's no, a great yeah. idea. It's because I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it makes right. sense. I, if I, we I, are I, trapped I, on I, this I, boat, yeah. let's, Throw their back throw the, list before they wake up again. They're, as they're back like, in the coffins. Know, yeah, Let's take so, the coffins and get them off the ship. Yeah, yeah. And so they laboriously, and I like the fact that the film takes the time to show you how much of a mm. pain in the ass it is for these people to yeah. get these things up there and toss them overboard. Mm-hmm. Of course, then the film immediately lets you down <laughs> should, yeah, with know, the horrible miniature effect of watching the coffins drift down through the water and then. And they look like Land. little chicklets and like landing. And we yeah, didn't need it. We didn't bad, need it. A, yeah. well, it didn't have to show that. No, it didn't. But if they were going to show it, it needed to be a better effect than yes, that. Yes. I could have got, I, I could have, I would have been happy with them showing that it's sinking through the water, even though it's a bad effect. But the, the overhead effect of seeing the, the coffin sink to the, to the seabed and rest there, <laughs> they're terrible. They are awful. They're terrible. But okay, okay. So we've got mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I'm still on board. <laughs> I really am still on board. Mm-hmm. And I remain on board when the ship starts to go up and they realize they've got to get off the boat. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the boat's on fire. Mm-hmm. Got to get out of here. Um, let's, let's grab, you know, throw some timber something overboard. We so that, something we can hold on to to float. Mm-hmm. Because at this point, they once the Knights Templar are off the boat, mm-hmm. and I love this explanation. This is a neat thing. That's another reason to have had the professor along. And, and throwing out these theories because once they remove the Knights Templar from the boat, the boat begins to deteriorate. Yeah, yeah. And everything starts to go to hell, and they realize this thing's going to sink underneath mm-hmm. us. We've got to get off here. Mm-hmm. So they abandon ship, mm-hmm. except for the professor. Yeah. And I think this is a neat touch because mm-hmm. the professor just basically says, I can't swim. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but wait, wait, wait. Now that this is mm-hmm. deteriorating, we can see the stars overhead now. It's not just the black night. We can see the stars overhead, and they can actually see that they're not too far from land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, all we've got to be able to do is get to that. I mean, it's going to take some time to get mm-hmm. there, but if we get off this boat, we can get there. And he stays behind because he can't swim, and he knows he'll mm-hmm. just drown. So mm-hmm. he just decides to stay on the boat. Yeah. I thought that was a neat little touch. Yeah. yeah. It was a nice way of, you know, you know you're reaching the part of the film where you're going to start having characters eliminated. Yeah. Here, at least, this character's eliminated for a reason that makes, you know, that's actually makes sense. Right. Yeah. Right. And I like, the, I, like the way it, I like the way that whole thing is played. Mm-hmm. So we have Jack Taylor's character, Maria Pershing's character, Emmanuel de Blas, mm-hmm. rapist character. Right. Overboard, holding on to this, mm-hmm. uh, this one piece of wood. And uh, Manuel Dubois has decided to take some of that treasure with him, and it's mm-hmm. weighing him down. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we've seen this in a zillion yeah, movies, which is you're going to drown trying uh, to make yourself rich. Yeah. And he uh, he tries to drown Jack Taylor to get him mm-hmm. off, the, off the, the, the piece of driftwood mm-hmm. that, they're go- that they're going to use to, to save mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And Maria Percy stabs him in the back. Mm-hmm. 
which I thought was interesting. She stabs him in the, in the back. Right, exactly. It literally does what you <laughs> yeah. kind of know these characters would do to each other at any, at any <laughs> moment. At any moment, right. Um, and uh, Jack Taylor and Maria Percy's character actually manage to make it to shore mm-hmm. and drag themselves up onto the, the rather rocky beach <laughs> yeah, yeah. and collapse on the sand. Mm-hmm. And then we have... Which is which would be a great ending in and of itself, mm-hmm. but of course this is a this is mm-hmm. a Knights Templar blind dead film. So mm-hmm. what we have instead mm-hmm. is then that magic. Honestly, one of the best endings of the series, mm-hmm. which is the blind dead walking up out of the sea from their coffins on the seabed mm-hmm. and coming up and killing the two of them. Mm-hmm. Roll credits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great end scene. It is. There's the, a major the problem with it if you look at it too closely. There. Okay. Well, look, look, but before you deflate my happiness. No, no. I love the ending. Okay, but, but you're about to deflate my happiness. I can smell it. I hate you. Now. Do you know what I'm going to say? No, no, no. I don't. That's what. That's what. That's okay. what's hurting. Right. I don't right. know. But I think the image of the 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 blind dead walking out of the sea up onto the beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the best oh, images I I of the it. entire I, series. I do it's too. It's great. Wonderful. It is. It is great. Now ruin it for me. Well, <laughs> it only takes. It, it's only in whatever context you chose to see it. And honestly, it didn't even hit me till about the third time that I watched it. Is uh, you mentioned earlier that in the film we're never told that they react only to sound, but if you watch those series, that's what you think of of the blind dead is that they right. they have to be guided by sound because they're blind. So how in the hell do they manage to surround? Jack Taylor and Maria Percy, oh, how do they find them if they come from the beach and they're not moving at all? They've been passed down the beach. I have a solution for uh, I knew you would. I knew you would. I'm waiting to hear and it's, this. Well, it's something straight from the movies. Okay. And it's it. not something that the movies do a mm-hmm. lot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they've done it often enough. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, there's a little bit of it in this one, if memory serves, mm-hmm. where they can hear your heart beating. Over the sound of a pounding surf. Well, no, that's, see, that, see, that's the thing. If if you're gonna you gotta, believe you gotta believe if you, you gotta if, so you if go. you're going with the supernatural mm-hmm. thing here, mm-hmm. which obviously we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I love the supernatural aspect of the fact that mm-hmm. they don't ever open their own coffins; they just open. Right, right. That supernatural. You mean mm-hmm. you've got to you've got to give it that. I mean, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and and would you uh, would you at least admit that you can find other scenes in the Blind Dead series that completely contradict that because of the, all the times when people are standing completely still and it's completely silent and they should be able to hear their heartbeats. Yeah, and they don't react. It, would you it, would you admit that? Now it, it does it not ruin the ending that, for me. I love this ending. It does not okay. ruin it for me. But I just got to say it yeah. because honestly, again, it didn't even hit me till like the third time. I was like, wait a minute. I see what you're saying. I don't. I, well, no, no, it, it's just, just a way I'm just trying to find, just, yeah, trying to no. find a way to justify sure. it. But yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, how are they going to hear them? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, but now had <clears> you come into this film, like I did the first time you saw it, the fact that they, that nobody ever says in the film points out that they, re, you know, that they, they react only to sound. You, if you yeah. took that film on its own, then really that's not an aspect of there. That's not something that's true. That, that you yeah. could actually watch this film and not even know that that's, Something you would just think that they, in general, were just remember, guided by their senses. They don't. They know? don't really say it in the fourth yeah. one either. You might think that they were, you might think that they guide themselves by their sense of smell or something. Right. So yeah, right. so yeah. I mean, again, it's just it's just a fun thing to point out, and definitely not. I love the ending of the film. It's beautifully filmed. It really is. I mean, it's, and it's very cool. Okay, for sure. so yes, having now talked about, mm-hmm. boy, did we skip over things. But mm-hmm. having talked about the film roughly from beginning to end, right. 
here's my little revelatory thing. Okay. Uh, I still will always consider Ghost Galleon to be the weakest of the four films. Mm-hmm. But I used to actually kind of dislike the movie. Mm-hmm. This viewing, I will admit, mm-hmm. I liked it a good deal more than I ever have before. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if it's that I'm getting older and less cranky, mm-hmm. which is probably unlikely. <laughs> or I've just become so used to the genre, to Spanish horror in general and European mm-hmm. cinema over the past 30 plus years of watching mm-hmm. this stuff so often mm-hmm. that the 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 the... The general tropes, the 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 usual contradictions, the the uh-huh. things that you know are part and parcel of what you have to accept and enjoy yeah. to like these movies. I don't know if there's been a softening in my attitude toward um, mm-hmm. criticizing these movies, or if it's just this time around. I found the pieces that work to be stronger than I remembered them to be. Mm-hmm. Even as I found the pieces that don't work to still be pretty bad. Yeah. Um, there's a lot bad in this movie. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's break it down like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bad things in the movie. We've talked about a lot of the good things and bad things mm-hmm. along the way, but the bad things in the movie are mm-hmm. clunky expositional dialogue, some pretty bad performances because it just feels rushed at times. Yeah. It feels yeah. as if nobody really mm-hmm. got to do more than about a uh, uh, maybe two takes. Yeah, some sketchy ever. characterizations. You know, I think the best yeah. character scene I think in the whole movie is the scene between Manuel de Blas and Jack Taylor where he's basically telling, you know, Jack Taylor's admitting to being frightened and, 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 yeah. and Sergio is kind of uh, enjoying uh, hey, you've been my boss and lorded over me with your money all these years. I've just been your flunky yeah. and you're not my boss anymore. I think that's actually dialogue-wise and acting-wise, I think that's, that's probably my stuff. favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, that's some good stuff. Uh, outside, but outside right. that, a lot of the characterizations get, get pretty weak and get pretty vague mm-hmm. and, and, and inconsistent. Uh, yeah, very inconsistent. Maria Percy's character is an inconsistent character because at yeah. first she seems fairly sympathetic and she mm-hmm. seems like someone who... Um, let, let, let's just say that by the time her... Her dark, the darker aspects of her character are revealed on the yacht. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of sympathy for her in the final third, right? And unfortunately, because we lose the character that we might have had more sympathy for, you know, yeah. we're left with we're not left with the kind of uh, fear you might feel for her character or for any of the characters at the last, you know. Yeah, yeah. Once Barbara Ray's gone, mm-hmm. it becomes a little bit. It, it becomes very difficult to to be mm-hmm. all that concerned about whether or not these people survive or not. Right, and I'm not. sure sure that's exactly what he's aiming for in these movies because yeah. in the other three movies you're you're rooting for yeah. these people to survive yeah um not, i mean not not all of them but there are sure but they're usually characters for. yeah exactly yeah so <clears throat> also amongst the bad mm-hmm. are as we've talked about the the effects mm-hmm. uh, i i could bitch all day about the the, the set the, the the black backdrop once you're on the the ghost galleon but i'm willing to give it that because they try clumsily within the mm-hmm. dialogue to explain how and why this might be going on. But the miniature effects work mm-hmm. for the uh the sinking coffins into the sea and mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't bring this up but the burning galleon at the yeah. end of the film well uh is a miserable special effect. It is so obviously a toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. And I don't think I can give the film a complete pass on it because of lack of yeah. time and budget. Here's the problem. Like that was actually, I mean, this tells you how bad it, 
that was the overriding image that stuck with me from the entire film for all those years I went without seeing it again was that last scene yeah. of the, the boat with the huge one big flame on it toppling over and just sort of, you know, going on with this little bubble, you know, in the water. And I, when I went to watch it, getting ready for the show, I sort of mentally steeled myself, said, like, I'm, I'm not going to let the toy boat bother me. And I got as far as to the first scene of the toy boat, as far as I made it before it started. Before just I was just like, <laughs> God, no, it's horrible. Here's the thing. There's, there's a... T- there's a technique called slow motion that you yes, use when you're the Japanese Toho mm. used it for years in the Godzilla film is, you know, when you're filming a, a vessel, a model in a tank of water, you film it in slow motion. And then no matter what else your shortcomings are, you've already upped, you've already improved it a little bit. I'm not saying it would have saved it by any means, but all he had to do was just slow motion. And that helps a lot. Believe me. Yeah. Personally, really, I, I don't think you should ever shown that boat at all. I think it could have still the worked. Boat? I think it could have, well, not from that, not the distance of the toy burning boat. In other words, I think you could have gone the whole movie. Now, it would have been clunky. Now, I'm saying, I'm not saying people wouldn't notice it. People would, what, but if you never showed the boat from a distance, if you only showed as they come up to the boat, they're getting on the boat, you know, maybe show some scenes looking up through the masts and all to give it that sense of yeah, size. Yeah, that would have been... It would, would have, have been, been awkward, bad, yeah. but it would not have been ludicrous. It would have been laughable. People might have said, like, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, you notice they never show the boat from, uh, you know, it's obviously a low-budget movie. You notice how they never show the boat from a distance. But I don't think you would have had these uproariously comic scenes of this toy boat bobbling in the water. I just think it would have been, if you if those were your only choices, but I, do, I still, I think he could have, I, I think you could have shown the boat and done something to have made it a little more passable. Um, and you didn't need to show the coffin sinking to the bottom of the ocean. We, had, we, know, we know that they're throwing them in the ocean. I don't think you had to do that. Or like you said, find some better way to just put a couple of them underwater, film them up close, and then we get the idea. Yeah, because honestly, you're right. If, if, if with the movie as it stands right now, mm-hmm. the thing that I would vote to eliminate actually would first be the shots of the coffins sitting on yes, the seafloor. I agree. Yeah, those are that's the worst. That's the, thing, worst. That, that's, that's the, that's worst. the yeah. thing that I would eliminate because I would do. it's much it, it's much much more of a shock mm-hmm. for them to walk out of the sea at the end of the movie. Yes, yes. Because mentally you've dismissed them. You've kind of forgotten about yeah. it. You know, you just thought about this boat burning and you sort of, it's yeah. like, yeah, our problems for the past five minutes of the movie mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. not been the fucking mm-hmm. blind dead. We've mm-hmm. eliminated them. They're in mm-hmm. the ocean. Who cares? Right. So showing that showing yeah. them on the seabed is almost a little bell ringing in the mm-hmm. audience's face of, mm-hmm. ooh, take note of the fact that they're on mm-hmm. the seabed. It's like, you know, you don't put some, dump something in the sea, we kind of get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, in other words, I would, only second choice would be eliminating the shots of the <laughs> yeah. burning toy boat. <laughs> that's, that's the problem is that. What we're, t- what we're talking about here is, is how to selectively edit a, co- a copy of this film so that it's less shitty. Yeah, well, and then you get to the next key word, edit. I think that's another thing we both agree is a little bit of a flaw, is it probably needed to be about five or ten minutes shorter. Yeah, it did. Look, the, we, you know, we said that the set is the best thing about the film. I mean, the pirate or the galleon ship set is fantastic, atmospheric, love the fog. And, you know, you and I don't have, you know, we come from the generation that didn't have the short attention spans with movies. You know, when we watch gothic movies, you know, hey, show us a woman in a see-through nightgown carrying a chandelier through a, or carrying a candelabra through a 
you know, through ghostly yeah. corridors. We could watch 20 minutes of that stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah but, and, and I will sit down yes. and watch Web of the Spider sometime. Yeah, the full, right. The full, the, the, the just full for the atmosphere. Yeah, just for the atmosphere. But, but, it's, it's, but I do think overall it really, it, it's, uh, I noticed, I noticed it especially my second time here viewing after I watched it the first time for the show and just kind of let it, take me again after all these years and then when I went to watch it the second time to make my notes is really when I noticed like okay I think I've seen enough of this chip I think I've seen enough of exploring going down up and down you know steps and you know so I really that's why I said I would have wish it could have had more of like a little flashback scene to the history of the Templars just to break that up or yeah. or just just shave you know cut five minutes of that of that uh, wandering around off I think that is a, a, a problem overall with the pacing of the film is even for even for a blind dead film, you know, and, and, you know, it, it, it's, 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 uh, I mean, not that the blind dead films in general are badly paced, but I mean, just because of the way the dead move themselves move at kind of a glacial pace, I almost feel like this whole film sort of moves at that blind dead <laughs> pace. Uh, but, well, uh, it definitely does show that this was a production that had trouble figuring out where to put their meager mm-hmm. funds yeah, yeah. because I'm sure they knew up front, okay, we've got to have the, the galleon set. There's no way around it. We've got, mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to spend a lot of time there. And mm-hmm. it's clear that, you know, the the least amount of the budget was allocated to getting the special <laughs> effect shots done. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they were able to fall back on not having to, you know, they didn't have to commission a new score. Right. So they saved money there. They'd already been working with the uh, the blind dead creature special effects for two films at that point so a yeah. lot a lot of that was you know sunken cost you didn't have to really do anything more than maintain it or maybe right. add a few new little tricks to it if you wanted to if this is the best that Amanda Diasorio could do in a two week shooting mm. period it's still better than a lot of italian directors of the period mm-hmm. that i could point to Bruno Mattai who uh <laughs> made some terrible films yeah that just do not hold up and mm-hmm. that are much more embarrassing than this. Yeah. And like yeah. I say, here's... Yeah. Let's talk about the good now, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the good. The good things in the movie mm-hmm. are that um, this is a very surface thing, mm-hmm. but I like watching this cast. The cast Me too. is often Me too. putting in uh, some some subpar work, mm-hmm. and we know why. Mm-hmm. They didn't have, you know, mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of time. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a lot of time to work on this. Mm-hmm. They had to get it done. Mm-hmm. There are some scenes that are that are well done. There's mm-hmm. a lot of scenes where you're like, mm-hmm. man, they need they need to take another shot at that one. Mm-hmm. That one that was not up mm-hmm. to, that was not up to where they wanted it to be. I bet. But yeah. you know, you've got you know, time is money. Let's get this in the can. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so I like the cast. Mm-hmm. It's very atmospheric mm-hmm. once you're on the galleon. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of uh, uh, creepy spookiness, mm-hmm. and that's all. That you know, that's true of all four of these films. And uh, Amanda Diasorio knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He knew how, he knew how to do this. This is uh, a clumsy film, mm-hmm. but it's a clumsy film with sections that work really well yeah. that aren't clumsy. Yeah, and you can see mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're watching a man who can do better being forced to do worse. Yeah. And that's a, that's sad, yeah. but it's the way things happen in, in these kind of fast exploitation mm-hmm. productions. There's not a lot you can say or do about it mm-hmm. after the fact. Mm-hmm. It's the way it is. And I like the the single, I think, most clever idea. Uh, as much as as much as the blind dead are associated with riding on the horses, and we have these wonderful other films where we have these incredible sequences of them galloping through you know forests and on beaches, you know, on the horses. 
it is a brilliant idea to put everybody in a situation where you can't outrun these guys, you know, and I love that yeah, because one of, one of the things people always talk about the dead is how slow they move and, and people are going to be so quick in most other films to point out, you know, you know, it's, it's a kind of the old, it's kind of the old horror film thing that people talk about, uh, the slow moving creature that chases the person, you know, and then somehow the person just, why well, don't think I can't they just outrun them. They have to trip or something or fall or something contrived yeah. here. You know, you're in this situation, this setting, it doesn't matter how slow they move. You're trapped there with them and they're going to get you eventually. And I think that that makes it a very much more, I think it it ramps up the the suspense a little bit there, you know. Well, and that points to another little thing. Like I say, there are some, there's some clumsy stuff in the movie, but uh, one of the first, one of the two bikini models who gets Mm. killed while she's walking around the ship after she's just gotten onto it in the first section of the movie, she walks up onto, uh, walks up. Uh, some steps and realizes that one of the steps is really faulty and creaky mm-hmm. and, and kind of loose mm-hmm. and draws attention to that so that later on when she's trying to get away from these creatures, yeah. that's her downfall. That yeah. that screws her up. Mm-hmm. And that's a brilliant little horror movie thing where mm-hmm. it's just something that's adding to the kind of creepy, decrepit mm-hmm. uh, feel of the place. Mm-hmm. But it plays into how the victim is caught yeah. by the yeah. villains. And, that's done a couple. That 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 that's the the kind of thing that shows you this is a this is a man who if he'd had more time, mm-hmm. yeah, this movie would have worked better on yeah. a lot of different fronts. But well, what you said your initial assessment of how it hit you this time around. I mean, you said it perfectly, and I feel exactly the same way. You know, it's a. Uh, you, thing too is to realize how long that it's been so much longer for me to have seen this film yeah. because I know you. Have watched it. At I least. watched it a couple of times since the, the coffin set came out. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas I had not watched it uh, since I first saw it on, on videotape, and of course, then I'd watch the other Blind Dead films. But when we started doing this show, um, one of the earliest things that we covered on Beyond Nashi was Tombs of the Blind Dead. So I think it was always understood that we were going to eventually get yeah. to all of them, and so I purposely held back on on, on ever watching it until such time came that we were going to do the show. So this was my first time in, you know, my gosh, you know, probably easily 20 years, you know, to have seen this film. And when I saw it, I was still very much a, the first time, I was still very much a fledgling Euro horror fan. In fact, I probably, I don't know if I was even using that term Euro horror. I probably was not. You know, I had seen some Italian stuff. I'd seen some Spanish stuff. I was starting to be aware that, hey, there's some really cool things happening in other countries that I've never gotten experience. So I was seeking that out, you know, looking for these films. But watching it this time around the first thing i realized was you know it starts with that iconic music so you're already in that which wouldn't have been iconic to me at the time you know but it's, but it's now that i've come to love this series and love that theme it starts there you're immediately in that world that wonderful theme and then these names of these old friends pop up jack taylor maria percy those names also would have meant nothing to me not at the time the first no. time i saw it so i think what you're talking about is it's kind of a uh you know this world now that we've grown to love. You know it's 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 kind of like old friends coming home to you know to yeah, you know yeah. when you see it and it already softens your feeling towards this film. You know yeah. and 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 because you're used to you because seen, there's now a level of comfort to yeah, seeing this thing. Yeah, you know and uh, and I think you're right too. Is just being used to more the pacing of these films, the ideas, the things that you sometimes have to overlook or not realize that are as important to these films and the people who made them as they were to to yeah. Western films or whatever. So. I think um, to me, it's 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 kind of like what you said. It's still the weakest film. I probably rating wise, I I probably like it, you know I would have considered it would have remembered it as being more like a three, you know, four. Yeah, exactly. I think I now probably have to give it a five, you know, and and and, and, that, and, yeah. and it's one that I could watch, and it's a film that I 
probably won't watch again for a long time, but probably will watch again at some point, you know? And, that, uh, and that's so. where I fall. I used mm-hmm. to, my, my memory of this film was that I would end up rating it about a, a four on mm-hmm. the one to 10 scale. Mm-hmm. And this time around, I'm like, you know, this ain't so bad. Yeah. I really kind of enjoyed this. This is mm-hmm. a, this, it's a five. It's, it's mm-hmm. a, a perfect mid range film because yeah. there's a lot in it that doesn't work, but there's mm-hmm. so much in it that does. Yeah. And yeah. I think you're right to talk about the, the comfort of mm-hmm. coming back to something like this mm-hmm. because we are such fans of mm-hmm. this. The films from this period of time, mm-hmm. films by this filmmaker, films mm-hmm. from Spain mm-hmm. in that period. And it's just a, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it is kind of comfort viewing. It mm-hmm. is fun to sit down and just kind of wallow in both the good and, and the bad. And we love these, you know, these films that still felt that, you know, misshrouded dark places with, with, with creeping Cobwebs things coming, that, that skeletons coming out of tombs was something still scary, you know, uh-huh. and it's so much a modern audience can't connect to, you know, where right. that modern films don't, you know, that have moved way past that, you know, or just don't trust in that anymore. But for us, we grew up on that. We grew up on these films. And so there's we appreciate the fact that these films, they may be gory, they may be modernized in a lot of ways, and they might have been cutting edge a lot of ways, but they still had the old, you know, the old the things that, that were you scared, you know, people when they watch the old Universal films, you know, exactly. they came out just the gothic stuff, you know, the gothic trappings, they felt it still works, you know. Well, that's, that's cool that we both kind of feel mm. that this is... Instead of being a bad movie, is kind yeah. of that mid range, yeah. not good yeah. or bad. There's yeah. there's a kind of an even split between the good and the bad in it. But now that we've kind of concluded our conversation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of talked about that, I do have one funny little thing I want to bring up about okay. the film that okay. I kind of I wanted to save until the yeah. end. Right. I kind of wanted to like leave as kind of like a little okay, a little bit of dessert, a little a little mint, a little mint at the end, right? Which is just All this. Right. It's just right. this. Um, it's only on this viewing that I realized. There's a there's a big what the fuck moment for me mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with special effects or or, or th- mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. When Maria Percy and uh, Maria Percy's character and the uh, professor character are mm-hmm. searching below decks and they're mm-hmm. in that room where the blind dead's coffins are. Right. Maria Percy Maria oh, Percy gets, say, gets, gets scared by a rat. Oh yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> where the fuck did this rat come from? <laughs> How is there a rat? <laughs> On this fucking 18th century ghost galleon <laughs> that exists in another dimension, are there? Are we? Is it a ghost rat? Yeah, and you and I, and I also have to say I, I love the fact that it's also this woman who is willing to willing to toss couple of people oh, overboard oh. if they don't you know if they if they if, if they it, need to it's scared of a rat it's not her it's not her fear of the rat it's the fact that there's, there's a, a rat. rat i know it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey they are resilient creatures you know they they you know it's like you could just they survive anything it's like we can survive bouncing back and forth between dimensions for hundreds yeah, of years what the hell? Just, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is a multi-dimensional rat <laughs> <laughs> so that so is take, good. That's good. It's either a ghost rat or a multi-dimensional <laughs> rat. It's one or the other. Right? All right, folks. Uh, hang on a second. We're going to take a quick break here and come back and deal with a couple of pieces of mail we got recently for yes. the show. So hang on. I am Doctor Lee Cushing. Welcome to my chamber of horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, 
psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Welcome back. Uh, let's see. Time to dive into the mailbag. Right, where you're turning the crank on the huge barrel of mail. It's going around and around, <laughs> and going to reach in and see all these thousands of uh, slices. Uh, yeah, of yeah, paper. Just, just bazillions. No, we, we, we have a couple here. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Troy, Troy, why don't you go first? All right. This is from Ken. He says, Rod and Troy. Now, see, why do they always put your name first? I don't understand that. I don't know either. He says, Rod. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, but something, by the way, before you, yes. even, before you do that, uh-huh. something that's a little... I don't mind it, mm-hmm. or at least I didn't mind it at first, but now I kind of do. When people talk online about uh, either this show mm-hmm. or the commentary tracks that we've done, mm-hmm. uh, some people, they remember my name, but they don't mm-hmm. remember yours. And so uh, they say Rod and Company. Uh, you know, Rod hey, Barnett well, but, and Company. But I think, that, you know, look, you have done a lot of these other shows with the Bloody Pit, and I think that they're sort of lumping the Bloody Pit and Nashie Casting together, and they think of, I mean, the space yeah, with Bloody Pit, you've, you've had quite a few of people in there. So, you know, it, it, I, it doesn't, personally, it doesn't bother me. I, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm okay, okay to be in Company. Uh, I so. do, okay, all right. All right. It's just, especially when they're, they're talking about the commentary tracks, it's like... Yeah, and it's just like, yeah, it's, it's not... Just, it's just me and Troy. <laughs> maybe I'm just so multifaceted, or, uh, or at least two-faced, you know, that I come off as more than one... <laughs> One person on these, you know. So. Yes, yes, Janice. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go with. All right. Go with. Go with the emails. Okay. Yes. So Rod and Troy, while revisiting my new Blu-ray versions of the classic Universal monster movies, I ran across a real Easter egg in the 1931 Dracula extras. The Spanish production version of the 1931 Universal Dracula is available in full length, restored, with subtitles available in the Blu-ray extras. Yes, it is. Oh my God, you guys need to check this out. As explained in one of the 1931 Dracula Blu-ray restoration commentaries, apparently an all-Spanish cast filmed their movie version simultaneously each day after hours on the same sets as the Lugosi version. Although the Spanish Dracula follows a similar script and storyline as as the Lugosi production, the movie is actually less choppy and more refined than the Lugosi version. Also, the ladies are more alluring in their sheer and more revealing gowns. I won't give any more away. Bottom line, you guys need to check out this restored Spanish treasure. Um, and he puts in parentheses, possible podcast review material. It says, keep up the great podcast and Nashi Blu-ray commentary work. Um, yeah, actually... Uh the I think the Spanish version of Dracula, the 1931 Dracula, first became available in the 90s. Mm-hmm. It was on, on a VHS. Yeah, it was on that run of VHS uh, Universal yeah. VHS films that had those beautiful painted covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and of course, what I always remember about that time is how thrilled we were that we could finally buy VHS tapes for movies for thirty bucks. You know, it was like, <laughs> wow, these are only thirty bucks. You oh know, and we started trying to collect all those. But I believe that was when the Spanish version first came to light. And kind of started a really interesting um, ongoing debate. Yes, and I think that it's I think that it's actually kind of uh, 
I think there's a little bit of a wave, a kind of fluctuating. Uh, now, it sounds like Ken is is really, really sold on the Spanish version, and it's very cool. There's and a lot to hey, like about and, it. And by the way, I am very sold I'm on too. it as well. I'm too. But I think when it came out, it was such a revelation, you know, that, that really yes. started this whole movement of you know, like champions for that film about how much better it is than Todd Browning film. And I definitely think that... I think that the 1931, the Lugosi Dracula, the Todd Browning Dracula, I think it has been served better than any other Universal film by Blu-ray, by these Blu-ray restorations. I think because I think its reputation has now kind of started to come back a little bit, yeah. Because I, I think the restorations of it more than any other film in that canon, whatever, um, has enhanced things you hear and see in that film that you never did before. Yeah. And made it much more impressive than I think it was for a lot of years because you're right, the kind of the general thread has been okay, you know, it's not impressed, like Todd Browning's direction is uninspired and, and that, you know, there's, there's not enough camera movement, not enough atmosphere, and that the Spanish film really ramps up the kind of sensuality. Yeah. And it does. I mean, and, it, and they do some very interesting camera things there. But now, as I've watched, um, and I do really like that Spanish version. I really do. But but watching the Lugosi version again in the last few years, especially on these uh, really beautifully res- restorations, I've been much more impressed by the film, and so much more. Uh, I think Lugosi's performance is just magnificent in it. And I think that um, you know, I think that I think that there's a lot. I, I like both versions. I really do. And I definitely. I think one of the. I think Lugosi's performance I like much better than the guy who plays Dracula in the Spanish version. Oh yes, completely agree. I think that that yeah. Lugosi's much better in it than he is. But uh, but yeah, I like both versions. And and if if someone out there hasn't seen the Spanish version, you definitely need to check it out because it's it's a uh, it's very fascinating what they did with the same story and the same sets and how they chose. Well, to, yeah, to change and it. basically the same script. And what you can see is uh, the uh, Spanish version is longer. And mm, one yes. of the reasons for that is it, it seems as if. Um, Either they chose to film the entire script or just more of the script, or mm-hmm. if in, it seems as if in the editing, whoever was responsible for editing, it's like they, they realized, wow, this is beautifully shot, and this mm-hmm. is a very atmospheric shot, and this, yeah. the, the choices made here are mm-hmm. very cinematic, so let's mm-hmm. keep this scene at this particular length or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing. That, that was always the big shock to me about watching the Browning version and then watching the Spanish language version is it's very evident from the jump street that mm-hmm. not only is the sensuality rap, uh, ramped up, mm-hmm. but the stylishness is ramped up to yeah. the point where yeah. when uh, it, it becomes clear that the, 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 the director making the Spanish language version mm-hmm. could look at mm-hmm. what was being done mm-hmm. uh, during the day, yeah. uh, maybe even look at the dailies if memory serves he may have been able to look at the dailies of what uh, Browning was do- was doing mm-hmm. in his version of the film and kind of decide well I can do something a little more interesting mm-hmm. visually mm-hmm. and he often did as a matter yeah. of fact that's one of the best things about the Spanish language version is that it's much more visually arresting it really especially is. Yeah. Uh, especially uh, in the latter half of the film because mm-hmm. I think Browning's film is extremely visually impressive for about the first 30 minutes. Yeah. And then it becomes less mm-hmm. visually interesting. Mm-hmm. It kind of relies on uh, the, the the excellent performance of Lugosi and the mm-hmm. wonderful Dwight, Dwight, uh, Dwight Fry performance yeah. as Renfield. Yeah. Uh, and those are things that, unfortunately, the Spanish language version doesn't have. Mm-hmm. But what the Spanish language version does have is it's, it's longer, but it's better paced. Mm-hmm. It's more visually interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. 
while while being a bit more languid at times. Mm. But that but that 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 careful that that languor kind of pays off in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. especially in a film that's considered to be gothic, and that's kind of those are kind of the right. tropes that this that the story is wrapped around. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, my, I, I've I said for years. That my what I would love is if there were some magical cinematic way to transpose Bella Lugosi's performance, <laughs> yeah, right, into the Spanish yeah. language version. Right. You would, you would have a movie that just blew your brain oh, out of your head. It just yeah. be it would be something so magnificent that your you, your eyes might melt. Yeah, I would put uh, Dwight Fry in there too. I think Dwight Fry is pretty oh, pretty, I think, pretty I think priceless. Yeah. I think he's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I think the guy who plays Renfield in the Spanish version is pretty interesting. But yeah, yeah he's, he's nothing's no nothing's going to beat Dwight Fry in that role. You're right. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm glad I'm glad that uh, you've discovered the Spanish language version, mm-hmm. and you're right. It's phenomenal, mm-hmm. and I'm so, I'm so glad that there are people still discovering these things because he brings up an interesting he brings mm-hmm. up an interesting idea. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something I've kind of been toying with. Mm-hmm. You and I have stayed away from a couple of standard horror movie topics for podcasters. Uh, yep. We've stayed away from Hammer. We've stayed yeah. away from Universal, right? Um, mainly because I think they're being covered very well. No. Well, you know, Monster yeah. Kid Radio, B Movie yeah. Cast, mountains of books on both. And, oh you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But what this what this fellow has reminded me of is something that is that's kind of floated across my mind more than mm-hmm. a few times, especially in the past year. Which is that it would still be fun mm-hmm. to do the occasional one of those wonderful classics. Yeah. And yeah, he's kind of pointed toward a, a, a nice way in, and that is he's reminded me that with each new video release. Mm-hmm. With each new screening of one of these movies on television, there's a new audience that's coming to it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting and that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, you know, it's not like we have some kind of massive reach, mm-hmm. you know, if we're, yeah. if, we're, if we're lucky a few thousand people listen to one of these shows. Right. That's wonderful, but at the same time, it does also generate more contact within the community about a particular film. Hey, mm-hmm. Here's you know these mm-hmm. guys have yeah. a certain take on the film. Let's see yeah. you know just listen to what their their opinion is or mm-hmm. or how they approached talking about you know the story mm-hmm. elements or the, mm-hmm. the the way it was you know the way it was directed or the 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 the, the tact taken within you know the mm-hmm. dialogue or whatever. Because because part of the time you're going to be part of what we're going to be if we do that what we'd be talking about people a lot of our listeners will be saying like oh yeah I'm glad they mentioned that I love that too but maybe we're also dropping in a, a thing or two that yeah. they hadn't thought of or hadn't noticed that way or yeah, you know maybe. whether you know possibly. So here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I've kind of thought about for a long time that it might be fun to maybe mm-hmm. do a, a couple of the Universal films, mm-hmm. uh, and I wouldn't start with the Spanish Dracula. Right. But what I would start with is one of the lesser known and more derided mm-hmm. of the Universal horror films, mm-hmm. which which would mean one of the ones produced in the 40s. Obviously. Right. Sure. Yeah. So. If we do take mm. those steps, yeah. if we do that, and I would do the same thing with the Hammer stuff, yeah. I would yeah. I would push toward the late sixties or seventies. Oh yeah, to talk about some of those movies because yeah. that's where you start getting into the ones where, <laughs> yeah, they're they're getting weird and creaky and they're you know they're no longer really produced in house. They're called Hammer movies, but they're not really shot mm. at Bray Studios. They're kind mm-hmm. of these these outsourced kinds of things yeah. and, and weird twitchy things like Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. Or you know, like I say, you know, why not? 
why not take yeah. a couple hours and just dig in deep to House of Dracula? <laughs> Which, you know, if you wanted to sit there oh. and tell me that it's a shitty movie, I would, yeah. you know, yeah. honestly, I could probably go point by point, go just nod my head with you going, yeah, it sucks. And then go, I don't give a shit. I, love I still it. love it. Yeah. yeah. So that's a possibility for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's. No, it, it, it is definitely a possible thread we might, uh, might explore at some point. Okay. Uh, second email of the evening. Uh, this is from Joe. I'm not using last names because, you know, there's crazy people out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't use our last names. No. no. Oh, shit, we do. No. Uh, wait. No, I'm uh, just company now. I'm just in company. So. You're in company. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> First name and. <laughs> yeah. Okay, from Joe. He says, damn you, Nashy Cast. <laughs> damn you, Nashy Cast. <laughs> Since my finding you a mere three months ago... And sending that now seemingly naive first email, I've fallen even deeper into a dark obsession and craving of all things Nashy. That happens to the best of us, man. Sorry. <laughs> even the mailman has taken notice, not to mention the wife, <laughs> due, to the, due to the constant stream of queer disc-shaped envelopes arriving at my address, <laughs> each housing a Nashy flick of varying quality from sometimes dubious sources. And if that wasn't bad, I've now found myself strangely addicted to a one... Just Franco. Like Peter denying <laughs> Jesus, I refuse to accept Franco into my heart. That's a classic <laughs> that line. That is a great line. <laughs> like Peter denying Jesus, I refuse to accept Franco into my heart. But I am now I now strangely finding myself an Uncle Jess neophyte. Save me, Dagon. Speaking of Lovecraft, I appreciate the all-too-short yet still satisfying tangents you two go on about the man from Providence. I want more. And while you've chatted about Lovecraftian movies a few times before, I'm not sure I've heard you two riff on your favorite Lovecraft stories. And on that tip, would like to nominate The Whisperer in the Darkness or From Beyond as a potential specimen for a scene-by-scene breakdown that you do so well under the Pit of Rod banner, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Troy, as a fan of British comedy, have you seen Saxondale? It may just be my favorite show of all time. Steve Coogan plays a washed-up roadie come pest control man. (laughs) Hilarity ensues. (laughs) Thanks for doing what you do, Joe. Well, starting from the end there, I will tell you that no. My short answer is no. I've I've heard of Saxondale. I've not seen it. I would love to because I love Steve Coogan. Um, First time I became aware of Steve Coogan was... uh, um, his performance in 24-Hour Party People, where he plays uh, Tony Wilson, uh, the manager of, uh, of um, well, uh, the, with the guy who kind of co-started, uh, you know, Factory Records and the Hacienda and that whole Manchester rave scene that started with, uh, you know, Joy Division and Happy Mondays. Great movie, and he's terrific in it. And that was my first uh, exposure to Steve Coogan, but the man is hilarious. He truly is. And so anything with him, yeah. in it, I would, anything with him in it, I'd be happy to, to check out. Uh, as for... Um Whisper in Darkness or From Beyond, both both great films. Mm-hmm. I, I really mm-hmm. love From Beyond. Me I think too. Whisper in Darkness is good. Uh, that Whisper in Darkness is a film that was produced by the H.P. Lovecraft Society, mm-hmm. and it was the second one I think they produced because they did the The Call of Cthulhu yeah. as a silent as a, movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, before that, and I think I prefer Call of Cthulhu, but Whisper in Darkness was good as well. From Beyond is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, that's just a yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a, that's a balls to the wall film. That's just, <laughs> what do you what do you get when you you know mm. you have the the people who made Reanimator go? Hey, let's do another one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, as for favorite Lovecraft stories, um, I do periodically, probably once or twice a year, mm. go back and just dive in and read or reread. Usually these days it's rereading mm-hmm. some Lovecraft stories, and uh, the I have to say that um, if I had to choose 
if I had to choose two, mm-hmm. I'd go with Rats in the Walls and uh, At the Mountains of Madness. Uh, I, I, I almost always used to say the, the the Strange Case of Charles Dexter Ward, which I think mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But the the Rats in the Wall, I think, is just pure spine tingling oh, it's terror. Fantastic. It's yeah. it's it's something that gets under my skin mm-hmm. so badly every time mm-hmm. I read that story. I think it's wonderful, mm-hmm. and I think At the Mountains of Madness is. One of the the best kind of horror slash near you know kind of mm. fantasy things mm. in the world because you have these alien you know these alien creatures these things it's just it's so good at con- mm. at conjuring those images in my head mm. I, I I just love those stories so much it's funny I never realized uh, I don't guess we ever talked about that in all these years we've been Lovecraft fans I didn't realize that Rats in the Walls was your favorite because it is mine too that's my favorite. that's one of the that's, two that's, that's my favorite and uh, probably the other one for me would be the Dunwich Horror. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the rats in the walls to me is just such a. It's not only a great story, but it's 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 just perfect. It's if you want to give somebody here is an is a classic example of Lovecraft how he yeah. worked. Yeah. Because the story starts so quietly and so minimally, and so like so many you know a guy just inherits a you know family home or something starts with this little idea of that he hears rats in the walls you know crawling yeah. in his and his cats you know trying to get to him. So he starts being determined to see where these rats are coming from, and it just kind of goes from there into something oh, it that it just cool. unfolds its yeah. story that it becomes more and more on a, 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 a like um, massive scale. The concepts just yeah. unfold from there, and it's the perfect unfolding of a Lovecraft story. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I mean, Lovecraft is actually my favorite writer, huh. my all-time favorite writer. I don't. When I say that, I have to kind of qualify it by saying that I don't always necessarily. Sp- Speaking from a technique standpoint, from like a from a purely technical writing skill, I think at his best, I think he was a very good writer. I think yeah. there's other times when he's maybe not, you know, well, he, was, he was he was a pulp writer. He was a pulp we, writer, so it, that in mind. his best doesn't always come out. I would not call him the greatest writer style wise, but I think his vision, you know, his scope, his imagination, and his influence is just, uh, you know, is it just can't be measured. You know, I just I just think uh, he's his his uh, his vision was off the charts, and that's what that's what I respond to when I read his stories. Um, I just think his concepts are fantastic, and I think one of the keys to Lovecraft. A lot of times, people want to talk about him being somewhat, you know, in the way they talk about Poe sometimes as being a very disturbed individual or mentally ill, or they even go so far as to like. You know, feel like, well, did he believe in the things he was writing about? It's like, no, no but no, of course not. But he did find them frightening, and that I think is the key too. Yeah. Is he wasn't that he thought they were real, but he did find the concepts. I think they did truly scare him. Yeah, as he wrote them, and that, of course, to write good horror, I think that needs. I think that is kind of a fundamental key to writing good horror. Is you need yeah. to, in some way, be frightened of the well, things that you are writing about. It, it reminds me of one of the things that I heard. Uh, Anytime I've ever learned a, a, a good deal about great comedy writers, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, um, when I found out that the reason those classic Looney Tunes cartoons are so damn funny is because mm-hmm. the way they were writing them is that the guys were just trying to make the other people they yeah. were they were writing mm-hmm. with the other creators, mm-hmm. the other artists, make them laugh. Yeah. Okay. That's why those things are so funny. Mm-hmm. Likewise, with uh, the Simpsons writers' room, mm-hmm. the reason the Simpsons. Was it's just so funny is because everybody in the room is trying to make everybody else in there mm-hmm. laugh. The whole idea is to be so good that you can get these people who are f- mm-hmm. professionally mm-hmm. funny mm-hmm. to laugh at what you're doing or your idea, your concept. And the Monty Python troupe worked the same way when exactly. they were writing those shows. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So much the same way is mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. are a horror writer and it gets under your skin. Mm-hmm. 
if it's something that disturbs and bothers you, mm-hmm. you're probably on the right track. Yeah. Your, yeah. Your, your, your audience will follow you mm-hmm. if you keep plugging away at it and if you're good enough. Yeah. And, you know, get the, you know, get, get it out there. Don't worry about what will, you know, mm-hmm. th- this person and this yeah. part, you know, this person think or this person think. Just put it in front of them and see yeah. their reactions. Yeah. Because what you're aiming for is to get that reaction every time. And I think it works in comedy and horror. And yeah. those two areas are closer. Mm-hmm. In, in, <laughs> yeah. in, because they're both involuntary reactions. Yeah. Yeah. You can't control what makes you laugh and you cannot control what scares you. Right. And so if you are tagging that, mm-hmm. you're on the right path. Yeah. And Lovecraft really knew what he was doing. Yeah. Because it's stuff that creeped him out. And I think mm. that's the reason why some of Poe's stuff is so effective. Sure. Is it's stuff yeah. that really got yeah. under his skin and it yeah. bothered him. And I think yeah. that's true of a lot of writers. So, yeah. But boy, have we tangent. Yeah, <laughs> good. Have good. we tangented well? <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't even know where to tell him to go with his, his uh, accepting once he's accepted Uncle Jess in his life, as he says. You know, it's like that. Well, uh, um, I, I understand that it's hard to accept him into your heart. <laughs> it took me years. Yeah, same here. Um. Um, I, I will just say that uh, it, I, I spent a, a couple of years fearing that I would never be able to forgive one uh, one writer named uh, Tim Lucas for, <laughs> yeah. for pushing me and pushing me and pushing me <laughs> through the Video Watchdog magazine to, to pay attention to Jess mm-hmm. Franco. But then once that switch was thrown, mm-hmm. uh, when I finally was in a room mm-hmm. with Tim Lucas, all I wanted to do was thank him. Yeah, And I admit, Ed, we probably both at one point felt like that was a real blind spot of Tim's as much as we admired you oh, know, yeah. Tim and admired. Yeah. We was just like, man, just uh, unfortunate that that guy's... Uh, is such an apologist for Jess Franco, you know. <laughs> yes, a, but, but but we are now we are confirmed, you know. We we are converts. Too. Oh yeah, now now I'm I'm like I can't wait for the fact that you know the diabolical Doctor Z is about to come yeah, out on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, so right, you know yeah. it's like, ugh. and then <laughs> I I honestly say people. Awful Dr. Orloff or Diabolical Dr. Z are really good jumping off points Great. if you want to yeah. pervert yourself into being a Jess Franco fan. So mm-hmm. anyway, cool. Thank every thank yes. you very much, Joe, for writing in. Uh, thanks to everyone who replied to the Facebook posting about Ghost Galleon. Yes, uh, thank you for participating. It we we know the downloads are out there. We know people mm-hmm. are listening, but it's yeah. great to have people giving us their opinion mm-hmm. and uh, letting us know, um, you know, mm-hmm. where. We're going right where we're going yeah. wrong. What we might want to do in the future. Yeah. These are all great ideas. If you got any chance, if you had any chance to listen to any of our commentaries that have been released so far, let us know about those. What you think oh, of those? Oh yeah, two most assuredly. Well. And yeah. also, I'd like to take the time now to point out that uh, although we do have a donate button on mm-hmm. the uh, on the Bloody Pit of Rod blog page, I don't I don't uh, I don't pimp it out very yeah. much because there's a certain uh, reticence on my part, simply because I feel that it's kind of unseemly to beg mm-hmm. for money, mm-hmm. but. Well, I'm, not there's, begging, there's, I'm, not, I'm not begging for money. I'm just going to point out that our dear friend Mike, mm-hmm. loyal listener to the podcast and mm-hmm. dear friend who occasionally mm-hmm. writes in, uh, did throw us a few dollary news. Boy, can I fuck that word? I don't know what you were trying to say. He threw us a few dollars here recently to help defray the cost of hosting these shows on the intertubes, and we would like to thank him again for that. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Mike. He does this about once a year, and it is a help. It is one of those things that is really sweet. I mean, this is a show we put out there for free, and you know, there's no kind of paywall, no mm. kind of there's no plans to ever do anything like that. This is something we do as fans, and we just hope that other mm. people enjoy this. We want to, we're doing this to draw attention to Paul Nashy and to Spanish horror, and we're we're trying to draw attention to these to these films so that more people will experience them and enjoy them. We have mm-hmm. so 
it is nice to get that. Uh, it's nice to get the emails. It's also nice to get money. Money's always good. <laughs> money always, <laughs> always <right>. good. <laughs> so once again, Mike, thank you very, very much. Remember, be yes. back here next month where we will be uh, talking about another Paul Nashy film. Yes, mm. we're going to be talking about a film about uh, a kidnapping called Sequestro or mm-hmm. Sequestro. Mm-hmm. We'll figure out how to pronounce that. When we, when we, when we eventually figure out how to pronounce that. We'll just that call, call, it, call, it, call it kidnapping. We'll call it, we'll call it kidnapped. <laughs> Uh, from 1976, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, Paul Nashy film. Okay. Boy, we're excited. So yes. come back. Come back. Celebrate our 8th anniversary with us. Yeah, next month. So i uh, also like to say that since it is going to be the 8th anniversary of the podcast, if you've got something you've always wanted to ask us, either about Paul Nashy films or about good Lord knows what else, go ahead and write in. Yeah. If you Let got something know. you asked us to do that first year and we've never got around to it, write back and remind us, <laughs> ask us to do it again. <laughs> because, boy, are we forgetful bastards. That's right. That's right. Let me tell you. Age age mm. is not always a, a complimentary thing, friend. Nope. So, once again, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we will talk to you again next month. My name is Rod Barnett. I am and Company, also known as Troy Gwynn. <laughs> <laughs> You bastard, Jake. We'll talk to you. We'll talk to you later. I gotta pull this together. Holy shit. Yeah.